five. Now this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Rock All Over You Podcast! Let's rock! Eric and Edwin! Edwin and Eric! They don't give a fuck! They just want you to rock! Yeah! Bam 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 dilly dee! Bam bam bam! Alright everyone and welcome to another edition of the Rock All Over You Podcast. I'm Eric Jordan RMCP, joined as always by Mr. Edwin Castracci. And Edwin, we got a, a pretty uh, pretty serious guest star on our hands right now. Uh, someone doing some uh, secret, you know, secret service type FBI operations overseas. Uh, hey, 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 you already said way too much, man. Just keep your mouth shut. Oh shit, I think I got Secret Service knocking at my door. Oh fuck, let me lock yeah. that. Put your phones in the microwave, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, he's everyone knows him that's part of the RMCP army. Uh, Charles, is it Trainer? How, let do, you, me, let how me, do you say uh, your last name? Uh, wait a minute, I wait a minute, Edwin. Let me, uh, let me say it real quick. It's Chuck Charles Trainer Man, Chuck, Chuck Charles Manson Trainer. That's a tongue twister. Try saying that like twice or, or once. Chuck Charles Trainer. Train, like, tra- but it's not train. It's T R A Y N O R. Is that is that French? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's actually uh, Irish, but it comes from. We came from the illiterate stock. We couldn't spell, so <laughs> it is. Okay, you know, so- like in the Godfather too, and all that. And all, you know, yeah. that's how it was pronounced by my ancestors, I believe. So they couldn't did they write. Wait, so did they w- wear flat? Black caps. That's the same thing. Irish and Italian immigrants. We all had like the big gray flat caps. I'm sure they did. And suspenders. Probably, probably went right in the army. Fought, fought in the Civil War too. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that much about my ancestors, but yeah, it's trainer or Manson yeah. or so. Wait, wait, so yeah. So ch- ch- some people call you Chuck, but I don't, what do you like to be called? I I do prefer Charles. Yeah. Yeah, Charles is classier. I like yeah. Charles. Okay, we're we're gonna call you Charles, goddammit, because that's what you like <laughs> to call. That's and good. That's and I bet you, you, you know, of course, we've done things with you before on other shows and stuff, but this is the first time you've been on the Rock Over You podcast, I believe, right? Isn't this the first time you've been on here? That's correct. And, wow, uh, it's really cool to be on. Yeah, it's just like we talk so often on Facebook that I just almost like sometimes it feels like you've been on. <laughs> you're, you're such yeah. a big part of the page. And the community that, you know, to me, you're on every episode in a sense. But now you're, like, really on the episode, so it's even better. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So, so, uh, so we're going to, you know, we, I came up with this idea to do this show about, I don't know, a month or two ago. And as soon as I thought, like, we got, because it really started with you. I was like, I'm like a Charles on the show. I'm burnt. I can't talk about Oasis because, you know, I did those two videos so it's like I, I need a break from Oasis for a bit. So I didn't want to talk about Oasis, but immediately the next band that popped in mind was Guns N' Roses because you're a big Guns N' Roses guy. And I had already talked about Use Your Illusions. I think you did as well on the, the Free Forum podcast. And yeah. and so so it wasn't going to be the Use Your Illusion albums. I really have no desire to talk about Appetite for Destruction. Not that it's not a great album. It's just that I'm very burned out on it. 
And I'd already talked about the spaghetti incident on the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. Ugh. Yeah, that was the first time I was ever on that show. I remember that, yeah, that was a good episode. A horrible album, but a great episode. Yeah, well, that's why I picked that. I thought it would be fun to trash it, because it sucks. <laughs> and, 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 and so, what really, that kind of left one album left, you know, because I don't count Chinese democracy, it's not real Guns N' Roses. So, so there was just like one album left, and it was Lies, and you know, it suddenly was like, hey, that's great, let's do Lies. And also, because no one ever talks about Lies. It's forgotten, almost. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, it has a couple big songs, and it has a very controversial song that we'll be talking about at the end. But, yeah, people don't really talk about it. But I can tell you this, in 1988, it was a big deal. I remember, uh, I'll start with uh, my story. Is my Some people know this already, because I talked about this in some of my YouTube videos. But the way I really got into hard rock and heavy metal was my older brother. I had an older brother who was like five years older than me. So like when I was in elementary school, he was in high school, like, you know, driving a firebird and sleeping with sexy blonde ladies. Well, I was still a little kid in school, you know. Oh, he sounds uh, cool. Yeah, I looked up to him. It was the 80s. <laughs> so I looked up to him thinking, oh, that's what my teen years are going to be like. Except for my teen years were in the 90s. So it was not like that at all. <laughs> so <laughs> I was very disappointed. I thought my teen years were going to be like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But instead, it was my so-called life. It sucked. Uh, <laughs> but, at least it wasn't like kids. Oh, come on. There's a disturbing-ass movie. Yeah, I, was, when I moved to New York, uh, it was a little kiddish. Uh, uh, yeah, um, not that bad. I, you know, as we know some of the stuff that went on in that movie. But yeah, I knew people like that and stuff. But anyway. What I'm getting at is my brother, he was into music, he was a hair metal guy, he had the big hair and all that, and he, it was his copy of Appetite for Destruction and Aerosmith's Fermentification. It was actually those two CDs that I swiped from him that I ended up listening to again and again. That really, really got me into music. Like That's where I, I kind of started to go down the rabbit hole. I got Aerosmith's Gems shortly after, and then I got really into Aerosmith. And it was all happening around, I would say, 88. Uh, Appetite had been out for a bit, and by this point, I think they were up to Paradise City already. Like, you know, it already became, like, the big album. And he, I remember he came home one day with the CDs were still in the big boxes at that point. You know, they had big cardboard boxes, and he he came back. He ha he bought this album, GNR Lies, the first week it came out. And I knew, I saw Patience on MTV. Of course, that was a big song, big video. And that was like, so this was like, I didn't buy it myself. The first Guns N' Roses album I bought myself was the Use Your Illusion albums, but this was the first new album that they came out with once I had like started paying attention to the band, you know? And before you knew it, I swiped my brother's CD of it, and soon it became my CD of it, and I was listening to it. Because uh, my brother liked Guns N' Roses, but he, did, he obviously didn't like them as much as me, because he never asked for the CDs back after I stole them from him. <laughs> but but I, I remember this and also had that great inner sleeve that was very sexy. And, you know, you're, I'm just entering junior high. So this is like perfect music for a junior high kid. You know, you're getting into it. It's like an education of rock and roll. And I don't know. I mean, we'll talk about it when we get to Mama Ken. I don't know if I heard the Aerosmith version yet or afterwards. It was all around the same time period. Like I got Mama Ken. I mean, I got Gems, which Mama Kim was on around this time period. So it all kind of bleeds together a little bit. But so, yeah, I have nostalgic feelings towards this album. When I listen to it, it does put me back there. 
And I always liked it a lot. Actually, I love it. I've, I've always loved it. It's one of my favorite Guns N' Roses albums, and I think it's really cool. And we'll get more into it when we get into it. But, Charles, what's your history with, well, first the band, and then this specific album? Or two EPs, however you want to think of it. Yeah. Uh, well, probably similar to a lot of people. Uh, I remember it was the Welcome of the Jungle video. Like, uh... The first run, because uh, it, it was like released twice, as I remember, uh, but on video. And uh, believe it or not, it was stuff like Axel just looked like like the street urchin, like he was saying he was in the video. It's <laughs> stuff like that. Visually, I was like into music, but it was just something else I was into at the time. I was into wrestling big time. Yeah. I was into I was into video games. I was like 13-ish when Appetite really hit big. And I, I didn't fall in love at first listen, but after about two or three times, I was like, you know, I kind of like these dudes here. And then I heard the, uh, I didn't see it, but I heard it on the radio, the uh, Live at the Ritz concert. Yeah. Which I still think is one of the best live performances they've ever put down as far as I, I still watch that from time to time on YouTube and uh, I just fell in love with them though after about like I said after about two or three times actually just seeing Welcome to the Jungle I even love Sweet Child of Mine and uh, I primarily listened to what I thought was metal at the time which yeah. was Poison and that crap which hey. I look back on and be like oh my god but even though sometimes I hear that stuff and it brings a smile to my face too, it reminds me of the time period. But I just fell in love with that with this band, and, and I they were the gateway of me making music be a passion. That's why I always hold them in a high regard, <clears throat> even though they've had many mishaps along the way, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But these first two albums they've made I thought were tremendous both of them I, I think Appetite is still one of the greatest albums ever made um, I'm not going to say the greatest but I think it was definitely the greatest of that time period of like the Sunset Strip bands and all that I believe but that's just my personal opinion and uh, as far as Lies goes I think I just heard somebody say hey GNR's got something new out and I was like oh word and that's cool and I happened to be at the mall. I grew up in a really small area in Ohio, uh, right in the heart of Amish land. So we didn't have a lot of shit going on. So pretty much you just got it at the mall, which was like four towns down. <laughs> so we didn't have anything in our town to go buy records or anything. And I saw it and bought it and was like, listen to it. I never had, I didn't even have a CD player. I bought it on cassette. And I listened to it, and then was mighty surprised when we got to the one song. And then I heard one in a million, and was even more surprised. So, did, did the actually, did the cassette uh, have have the girl inside? Yeah, it did. It was all like folded up, you know, like yeah. super liner notes inside the cassette. But yeah, it had a, the whole thing, just like the CD. Yeah. I had it on CD eventually too, but uh, 
you know, yeah, I mean, it just, this band became like my band and that, that was it. And then I, um, uh, I remember having to wait for the illusions and it was like, what, three years, I believe, four years. Yeah, there was a bit of a gap between. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nothing like Chinese. Little do we oh, yeah. Like that. But, uh, in that age though, stuff like three, four years seemed like an eternity. Yeah, it did seem long. It's funny because now, yeah, that wouldn't be anything. But then, yeah, it was long, especially right. for a band that was so like hot and current. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like they were like back then. Like like me, if like back then, like if the Rolling Stones or someone took a few years, you wouldn't think anything of it because you were like, that's some older band, you know. But right. Guns N' Roses were like happening. You know, they were. Oh, like, yeah, they're yeah. huge. And, and for them to take three years was like, whoa! Why did they take it so fucking long? <laughs> you know. Well, another interesting thing I think about Guns N' Roses is especially in that age and where I, it could have been where I grew up but definitely around Lies and Appetite there it was not too many people that were middle ground on Guns N' Roses there was people either who loved them or they hated them in my environment I was in yeah there was and, a little uh, bit of that there was a little bit of that I would say more lean towards loving them uh, I mean obviously I guess you could right. say across the board because they were so popular. But yeah, I knew they had some haters, and you know they're a band that striked a lot of extreme emotions. And also, there's a period which I'm going to talk about a little bit later on because when we get to the last song, I, I have a few things to say, say about Axl Rose as a person on a whole. So, uh, <laughs> so when we get to that, I'm going to talk about this. But there was a period like I remember. It's, Guns N' Roses are kind of fashionable again, and they've been for a while now, where like a lot of normcore people like them again, again, and that's why they're filling out stadiums. But uh, the there was a period from like 95 to 2005, I'd say, where Guns N' Roses were kind of like not fashionable anymore, and like uh, they were kind of a joke, like, you know, and I just... I heard a lot of people ragging on Axel and, and the band, and, and it, it, it was like even, you know, like some, yeah, classic rock radio still played like the hits and all. But I, I was in a lot of arguments with people because I was always sticking up for Guns N' Roses and Axel Rose during this period. But yeah, so there was a period. But then I, I noticed this shift around the mid O's or late O's where suddenly everyone got very nostalgic for Guns N' Roses again and everyone was talking up appetite and everyone was just like, oh, you know, so it all built and built to the point where Guns N' Roses could exploit that nostalgia as they have been for the past few years. But yeah, there were, I don't know if you guys recall that, but there was a period where it was like Guns N' Roses were kind of just seen as like a dated 80s band. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't remember it they too were, well. They were actually. Yeah. And I yeah. Um, yeah, it's like my ex-wife told me she had a, a, a story where she bought the spaghetti incident in ew. school, and she said all the kids made fun of her. Well, that's a horrible <laughs> album. I really don't blame those kids. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what I said? Like that, uh, it, it's not <clears throat> like, yeah, it's a shitty album. It's a shitty album, but it's more than that. I mean, most like junior, she was in junior high at the time. Most junior high kids don't really know that shitty. You know, they don't have the best taste. They just know that Guns N' Roses are just not cool anymore. Which is what I think they were kind of laughing at, or like, "Yo, you didn't buy like a, you didn't buy Smashing Pumpkins or Nirvana. You bought <laughs> you bought the Spaghetti Incident. Ah ha ha! Like that's kind of what they start. Yeah, that's what they start to become. You know, they only made themselves look lamer by trying to be cool too, by trying to do a punk album. But we're gonna talk about that when we talk about two of the covers on this album, actually. But well, so, 
What's really interesting, though, was in that time, though, the, the time where they were hot, before the illusions, even with the illusions, is, and I made the point on the illusions episode I was on, they're a rare band, they were a rare band in that time, they were, for those of us that loved them, and a lot of people did, like you pointed out, we loved them, fans loved them. MTV couldn't get enough of Guns N' Roses at all. They no, were every, yeah. They were like the and, ultimate MTV band oh, yeah. for so many reasons. And so, then, even the critical establishment loved them. Yeah, Rolling Stone loved, loved Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Robert Christigal, the dean of music critics, not to me, but that's what they say he is. He loved them. I mean, it was a rare, like, lightning in a bottle kind of situation. Where Yeah, it's like, it's like what if you, t- like, peak... Joshua G, Octoon Baby, you too. But on top of that, there's the dangerous element. There's the controversy. There's the get in trouble. Like, what if you two weren't a bunch of Christians and instead were a bunch of bad boys getting in trouble? And on top of that, they did even more crazy videos and more, you know, like, like, and they released big double albums. And like, so Guns N' Roses were like, they were like perfectly designed to be the ultimate, like, late 80s, early 90s. MTV act. And I noticed that when you were talking about uh, that on that episode. It's freeform, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was saying, yeah, Charles nailed it. Like, Guns N' Roses really were the ultimate MTV band. Because yeah. because they were multimedia. It wasn't just about the music. It was like, what did Axel do now on MTV News? You know? There was always, like, Kurt Loder talking to Axel somewhere after he did something. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what, what happened now, Axel? Axel being in the back of his limo. Oh, man, you know, I just didn't like the vibe of that show. You know? <laughs> it was like, it was constant news. Constant yeah. news. It had that a little bit with Nevada and Kurt Cobain. But Guns N' Roses, even more so. Like, and even like that, the Use Your Illusion albums, like the way that you had like Use Your Illusion was like two was written in blue, you know, under the videos, and then yellow, and this yeah. whole, this oh, this whole thing was like they were playing so much into MTV, and yeah, it's it, they're all, they all the ultimate. No band could be as big as I think as Guns N' Roses were at that period, and you would have to go back to the Beatles in the '60s, I think. When you think about it, what do you think, Eric? You were very young when all this was. Yeah, actually, were you, even, you weren't even fucking born yet, were you? <laughs> Ninety-three, I was born. So <laughs> I'm gonna go. On, I guess I'll go. It's my cue to go into my history with Guns N' Roses. Yeah, it's your cue, the history <laughs> that you didn't have with them because you didn't exist yet. Yeah, yeah. go. Well, Guns N' Roses, I have a pretty big history with, and I'm not even like really the biggest Guns N' Roses fan anymore, but. I do have a long history with them because I was at one point a very big fan. Uh, my friend Nick Mills, who we had a band together, he was the bass player you know, back in high school. He's a huge Guns N' Roses fan. He's probably the reason why I don't like Guns N' Roses anymore. Um, my friend Nick Mills, a.k.a. Dick Pills, Viagra as we call him, uh, you know, I want to give him a shout out. You know, my brother from another mother, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he um, he was a huge Guns N' Roses fan, as, as I was in high school. You know, when I was in high school, I kind of strayed away from, like, you know, kind of the traditional heavy metal, although I still listened to it, but I was more of, like, a glam. Like, in high school, I really got into, like, some of the, the glam and the hair metal, some of which I still do love, and it's, like, a guilty pleasure, and some of which I, I just can't listen to anymore because it, it's just pure tripe. But Guns N' Roses is one of those bands I was really huge into in high school, and even as a kid, 
The first time I heard Guns N' Roses was Sweet Child of Mine. My mom was watching VH1 and they had like a block of music videos. And that was one of the songs they played and I fucking loved it. And I remember that following day at school, I just kept singing that song, like humming that song all day and it was just stuck in my head. And then like uh, two weeks, about like me, like two weeks later or something, I, I hung out at my friend's house. My mom came to pick me up and she was listening to Welcome to the Jungle. And that was finally what made me go like, okay, like I need to, I need to get this, this CD. I need to check this band out. I borrowed my mom's Appetite for Destruction CD and uh, it blew me away. You know, I loved like Paradise City, Sweet Child of Mine, Welcome to the Jungle. It was just really good shit and I loved Appetite for Destruction. And then I started hearing some of the stuff off Use Your Illusions, you know, and some of it was kind of hit or miss, some of it I kind of liked, some of it I didn't like. And it wasn't until high school that I really discovered this album, because like I said, it's uh, it's almost like a forgotten album, kind of, because it's bridged between two, whatever you think of them, it's bridged between two major albums. I consider Use Your Illusion kind of a double album, so I'm just counting that as one. It's a huge, like, uh, you know, there's a huge bridge between these albums, and uh, there's uh, Lies, which is just kind of almost forgotten. It wasn't until high school when I got into it, because, like I said, I was getting into the hair metal stuff and also the Sunset Strip music, so GNR, they're one of those bands. Um, you know, a lot of my friends said I looked kind of like Axl Rose because I wore the bandanas, the cowboy boots, uh, had a leather jacket. You know, I, I looked... I did look a lot like Axl Rose to the point where I dress up as him for Halloween still to this day sometimes because it's an easy costume for me. And, you know, I was a big fan. And my friend Nick Mills is a big fan. That was how we, you know, that was how we met. I always wore, like, a GNR t-shirt sometimes to school. And finally one day he's like, we're both shy. So he hit me up was like, hey, man, you, you in a band or anything? You play? And I was like, I'm a singer. And he's like, well, that's great because our guitar player sings and he sucks. So we need a singer. <laughs> and uh, we just, we hit it off. Uh, you know, we we're both big GNR fans. And he was the one that first uh, let me borrow GNR Lies because he had it on CD. And that was the first time I ever experienced it. And I'll save my opinion for it when we get into the review. But we love GNR. But man, my friend Nick Mills, he loved them so much that he played them to death. To the point where I never need to hear fucking Guns N' Roses ever mm-hmm. the fuck again. And I, I do feel like they, they can be a little overrated at times. You know, I think the the Illusions albums are kind of bloated and they're very overrated. But Appetite, well, I may never need to hear that album again. Uh, it's still a classic. It's still phenomenal. It's a great piece of rock and roll history. And, uh, you know, I, Sweet Child of Mine, that's like the song I probably am the most burned out about. But I always you know every time i hear that song though i can't help but laugh because my friend had it as his ringtone and he was like he was real tall he was a bass player so you know most bass players are pretty tall lanky guys sometimes he's walking across this like uh this like wooden fencing while we're walking to his place from school because we just went to we went from school to guitar center and then we walked back to his place he's walking across this wooden fencing and he's so clumsy and awkward he falls into a bush and like Sweet Child of Mine starts playing as he falls into this bush and he falls like standing up, but then he like literally like tilts over and fell right on his face and it was just the funniest thing. You had to be there to see it, it was just hilarious. And so every time I hear that opening guitar riff, I, I laugh because I think of Nick Mills. He sounds like you know? he inv- invented TikTok. That could be a TikTok. 
That could have been a TikTok, man. That was, that was before TikTok became a thing. That was even before Vine, if you guys even remember fucking Vine. I, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> it was yeah. fucking... It, it was, like, lasted for, like, maybe two weeks. But, yeah, man, I mean, GNR, though, you know, I, I don't listen to him as much as I used to. I'm not the biggest fan, but I was a big fan at one point. And you got to respect them because they did something different. That, you know, when all these bands are dressing all pretty with the poofy hair and whatnot, and then you also had the thrash bands coming out, they just went back to the bare bones, you know, bluesy, dirty like sleazy uh rock and roll man you know this they were dangerous man because they you know this isn't where the fucking down boys go you know although i do love that song it's a guilty pleasure but uh this ain't where the down boys go this is some dangerous fucking shit these are some guys that could you know fuck you up and seen some pretty pretty fucked up shit on the streets you know they were they were the real deal uh whether you love them or hate them man they they came out they came along and really changed things yeah, I agree. Like, just to talk a little bit before we get, because it's not that long of an album, but yeah, oh, yeah, about Guns N' Roses' legacy and all that. And this is discussion we have a lot in the groups. And yeah, I am one of the people that often says Guns N' Roses are overrated. But Charles will also notice, like when people were comparing him to LA Guns and stuff, like I give them their props when it's time to give them their props. Like, hey, I like LA Guns, and that first album's good. But there's a reason why Guns N' Roses. You know, fill stadiums. You know, oh, agreed. And LA Guns don't. They're just not on the same level. I'm sorry. They're just not on the same level. Not in terms of anything. Not in terms of showmanship, personality, songs just aren't as strong overall. You know, so I, Guns N' Roses were a great band. I don't think Guns N' Roses from 87 to 91 are overrated. I think they're perfectly rated. I do think they were one of the greatest bands from that era. I think they're overrated in the sense that it's a short run. You know, I, when I look at most big stadium acts and bands that have been around, they're legacy acts, you know, when from the Rolling Stones to Metallica. Like, I feel like you need to have at least more than 10 years worth of good albums. You need to kind of be putting out stuff like, you know, ACDC, decades after decades. To me, you're like paying your dues in a way. You're building up something. I feel like Guns N' Roses have this legacy that they really did not work at at all and then just easily kind of slid into now that they're older and everyone was appetite for destruction so you know to me it's like you know even like like aerosmith i have issues with like you know i don't know last 20 years of aerosmith's music i didn't like but you know even just in the 70s alone aerosmith released more albums than guns N' roses ever did you know like like and so much of what Guns N' Roses did, they took from Aerosmith, but yet Guns N' Roses are bigger than Aerosmith, even though and Aerosmith is still a big you know, band, obviously, but they don't fill stadiums in America. They have to go overseas to do that. Uh, Guns N' Roses fill stadiums in America. And I just, I, like, I, I don't know, there's this, this thing, I just feel like people are kind of like sheep. They all go to this one band. It's like, even, it's like our feelings about Motley Crue and stuff. Like, there's just some bands I just don't think deserve to be as big as they are because I don't think they put in the work that some legacy acts have. And, and like, I think, yeah, Guns N' Roses were, underlying, were a great band in the late 80s and I'd say even the early 90s. You know, I always stick up for the Use Your Illusion albums, even though they do have, you know, some clunkers on it. Overall, I think there's enough great songs to justify a double album. Maybe not quite as long as those albums are, but I still think they had a lot of great songs at that point. 
But to me, the band dies after Izzy leaves the band. To me, that's mm-hmm. he's the Keith Richards of. It's like, could you imagine the Rolling Stones about Keith Richards? No. No. Well, he's the Keith Richards of Guns N' Roses. It's Axel and Keith. I mean, Axel, Axel and Izzy. But it's like good thing for good thing for Keith Richards that none of his lead guitarists had a top hat and a funny name, or else <laughs> he would have been overshadowed. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with you, Edwin. I I really feel like there's like a sense of like they're overrated in the fact that it's like they only came out with like appetite lies you know while it's a, a good album spoiler alert it's not as big and unusual illusions whether you love it or not it, they blew up and they were very big and there are a lot of people that consider them classics but other than that, it's like what else have they really done and the other thing that kind of pisses me off is how they're like a nostalgia act they really have not put much effort forth in trying to release a new album yeah they have a couple singles out like now like more recently but i really don't see them putting out a new album it's they're purely touring on their nostalgia and i just don't get it because like you got bands like uh the stones and aerosmith and this and that that have put out way more like material over the years and actually like really try at it and guns N' roses is usually like just as big as those bands and i i just don't get it i think it's because you know it's like freaking slash i no offense to slash but I, I think he's one of the most overrated guitar players ever i think it's because he has the fucking top hat he's like He's a cartoon character, and same with Axl Rose. Axl Rose kind of has like that image too, and he's got the the personality where I don't know people just give him a little bit more credit than than needed. They look at the the look, like the kind of look of the band, and that's kind of where they get a lot of their their fame. And it's just that's why they're able to live off those you know three like you know legendary albums. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it just yeah. it annoys me. And they had enough hit singles from those three albums that that's enough. That's enough for basic people and, you know, casual fans of Phillips Stadiums because they can all sing November Rain and Sweet Child of Mine and Welcome yep. to the Jungle. So they got enough. But it's just like even like like look at an older band like ACDC. They only put out album every five years, but that's still more than Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Do. And like like Power Up, for example, which, you know, I love. I'm a big fan of that album. And it's like, I remember, remember there was that time period where everyone was saying, oh, Axel DC. Oh, they should do an album of Axel Rose. He'll come in. He'll inject some life in ACDC. Well, look look now. And I was calling this back then. I said, it's not going to happen. You know why? Because Axel Rose isn't interested in making new music with anyone. Because look at this. <laughs> Power Up comes out. I think the best album since for those about the Rocky salute you. It's a great album. With Brian Johnson, this old guy. Just a bunch of fucking old guys do Power Up. And it's one of their best albums in decades. All new songs. Not a nostalgic act. New album. It's great. Guns N' Roses go out there. They don't they don't care. Even though they're younger, much younger in ACDC. They're only in their fifties. You know, ACDC's in their sixties and Brian Johnson's in his seventies. They go in and they put in the work and they cr- they create a new album. Guns N' Roses don't care. You know, they might have a, a new shitty song here and there that sounds like just some old song that they remixed, you know? <laughs> uh, or an Axl Rose, like, leftover from Chinese democracy. And, like, they just, like, to me, a band that's passionate puts out an album. Even during the, the Van Halen, like, reunion, you know? They, they put out one album and it was great. You know, it was a great album. And it's just like... I don't know. Like to me, it's 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 a sham. It's a sham, and he fucked over Izzy and Axel. 
he well i'm gonna get into this when i talk about axel later but but like izzy gets screwed over because they don't want to share the royalties the, the, they don't want to share the touring you know the money from the tours with him and it, they know they can get away with it because he's not as high profile because most casual fans don't know who izzy is even though he wrote co-wrote most of the songs they're singing along to like drunken idiots you know this man co-wrote those songs you know and but slash is the guy with the top hat so he's the one you know but anyway that's my little rant about guns and roses and what they are and that's in that sense i feel they're overrated now if we're just talking about this period late 80s early 90s i feel they're perfectly rated i think they were one of the greatest bands around and it was very disappointing to me. Like to me, it's just like they should have just continued. They should have had a good ten-year run, like Led Zeppelin. Like you just have a good ten-year run. They should have had like three or four more albums, and then, then they could have just rested on the laurels if they want. But I feel it's a cheap. Anyway, what do you think of all that, Charles? I want to hear your retort on my rant. That's a very. That's <laughs> definitely an interesting notion, uh, for sure. But what if the Sex Pistols got back together? Would that be? But they did, brief, they did brief. They did briefly. Well, right now they did it. Um, They're I, only living I, on now. Yeah, yeah. Well, they won't be filmed. I'll tell you this: sex special. They win new stadiums. That's true. They uh, I would go that far. Yeah, and but, uh, they might might do maybe in England, but not in America anyway. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I think the sex pistols are overhyped too. So there you go. Well, yeah, I think well, uh, it's a hey, it's a, it's a great punk rock album. It's a great album. It's revolutionary but that's it it's one goddamn album the ramones did a whole bunch of great albums you know so yeah. The, yeah. the ramones put in the work you know, <coughs> johnny rotten does one punk rock album and then he fucks off to do a artsy uh, post-punk band that he's more into so like you know sex pistols he himself johnny does not rotten does not like the sex pistols he thinks they suck <laughs> so <laughs> love uh, johnny rotten yeah he's got good taste so i trust him <laughs> He loves Alice Cooper. I was like, okay, that guy's a good thing. He'd rather listen to an Alice Cooper album than the Sex Pistols. <laughs> but I do find it totally interesting that, you know, what you said spot on. First of all, Izzy was is my favorite member. So, uh, I think most of us... all over this album that we're Yeah, I think most of us... It's such an true, Izzy album. Most of us true Guns N' Roses fans usually do air more towards Izzy's side. And we know that... What it, what they lost when he left, and of course he left because he got cleaned up. Yeah, and just seeing what everyone was going on around him, and he was smart and got the hell out of Dodge. It also led the reason why I think they don't make any music is because Axel owns everything about Guns N' Roses, Lock, Stock, and Barrel. So anything to do with Guns N' Roses, he's making it all the money. So. That's and that's not cool, but I'm just saying I think that's the reality of the situation. And Chinese democracy came out at a really weird time where it was pretty much the beginning of the end as far as selling records. Yeah. And people buying them, and I don't think it did that well. No, it didn't. It, I think it went probably, gold. That was yeah, about it. It I remember when they came out in high school. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, we, I was going to talk about Chinese democracy a bit when I go on my Axel Rose personality yeah, rant. To, yeah. But it is interesting, and I always, with Glee, point out to those people that love Motley Crue to death that, well, Guns N' Roses doesn't have to drag out all the rest of the 
80s fans with him to fill up stadiums. But it's an interesting deal. I never really thought about it like that, but that's true. I mean, they, they haven't. That's kind of why, I mean, I love Guns N' Roses with an asterisk. <laughs> like, I them, but conditionally. Yeah. But I, I, I can't totally ever ditch them because... They led me into the Beatles. They led me. They led me into a passion for the Beatles. They led me into a passion for Kiss. That's right. I'll say it. Fucking love Kiss, especially real Kiss. Um, yeah. Well, let me just say one thing too, Charles. Would you like to hear? Like Oasis, for example. I think Oasis because a lot of people they're like the English Guns N' Roses, you know. And oh, every yeah, yeah. yeah and, and and they wouldn't be filling stadiums. Here, but they definitely would be. Well, Liam does it by himself, actually, in England. And yeah. that's the thing. To me, they earned more the right because, A, they didn't put out a lot of records, but they still put out twice as many as Guns N' Roses. And on top of that, Noel and Liam have released a lot of really strong solo albums post the band. You know, so I feel if you take that on a whole, like both Oasis and the solo output of the Gallagher Brothers, I feel they have been enriching the world of music over the years and haven't just rested on their laurels like yeah. Axel and Guns N' Roses. So, well, and it's, to be fair, it's really Axel. Izzy's done. I mean, Izzy's done more. But yeah, and it's Slash occasionally puts out an Slash. album. And yeah, it's Axel. And the problem is, this is the thing about Guns N' Roses too. They all suck without each other. <laughs> they really do. Hey, I love Izzy. Izzy solo, I, I made this joke before, Charles heard this joke, but it's true. I say Izzy is defiantly mediocre. <laughs> oh, he's terrible on his own. <laughs> it's just like, I, I know Izzy can do better, but he's like, he just doesn't care. He just wants to put out just really lazy, middle-of-the-road bar rock. It's all right. It's like nothing offensive, but it's like you could tell he he's not even thinking. Like, he just picks up a guitar, like, blah, 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 with some cliches. Okay, what's next? You know, he puts out a lot of stuff, but nothing's really special, you know. And maybe it's because he needs the drums. I don't know, because the guy, every song he wrote in Guns N' Roses was great. You hit it right on the head. Uh, Not that I think go back on drugs, but I think that he lost that edge that he had when he was doing hard drugs. I think it's also... I think I think kind of like Led Ze- <laughs> like Led Zeppelin. I think they were one of those bands where it's like this. Yeah, you, know, you need all the every member brought something equally yeah. to the band. And you see, I guess you could say Axel. I say this begrudgingly is probably the most talented by himself because Chinese Democracy it's a mixed bag and it had some shitty songs but there were a couple songs that were better than anything I heard from anyone else from Guns N' Roses I I love that album I felt better sorry there were a few songs there was like a handful of songs that I thought okay well this these songs are better than anything I heard from anyone even Izzy so but there were some really there were some songs that really annoyed me too on that album too so it was a mixed bag but I do think Axel's but he's crazy and he's a dickhead and he's a crazy dickhead. <laughs> so as a result, it's like, and he needs to be like the focus of Guns N' Roses. He's like the guy that keeps them all together, keeps all these different guys together and makes all these guys write better songs and do better. And even Slash, like Sweet Child of Mine is like something he was like noodling around. Slash would have just went past that riff. He would have just noodled around and then moved on. But Axel's the guy who says, hey, stop. What's that? Make that the song. You know, he's like a dictator. 
you know, and and he brought the best out, I think, of Izzy and I think each other. And it just, I feel like you need, you need it, Izzy and Axel because essentially Axel brought the genius and Izzy brought the cool, and Izzy grounded Axel. They were, you know, the they were, you know, teen friends, teenager, fr- you know, friends back in Indiana. They like he was the one guy that was like an Axel peer that knew where Axel was from. Like I know you before, motherfucker, you know. And it's like you needed those two guys at the core of it, and then you got Slash, Duff, and Steven as talented musicians and collaborators. And once Izzy can't deal with Axel anymore, and that's what I think like 14 years is all about. It's like once he's like, I just can't deal with Axel anymore. It's like, what do you know? It all falls apart, and Axel can't keep this band together and drives everyone away because he doesn't have that one equal in the band that can just step up to him and say, Axel, don't be a dickhead, you know? <laughs> and, and, and that's where it all falls apart. And that's why I think everything afterwards, I generally do not consider Guns N' Roses. In what, who's touring now, I don't consider Guns N' Roses. I saw them in the Use Your Illusion tour, but it was with Gilby Clark, so I didn't get to see Guns N' Roses. I got to see that thing that happened after Guns N' Roses. Oh, the Ve- GNR like, Vegas. GNR Vegas. So to me, real... Real Guns N' Roses, and this is like, this is quintessential. Let's lead into this album now. GNR Lies is quintessential Guns N' Roses. It's them right at that mid-period, right between Use Your Illusions and, and Appetite for Destruction, two EPs. Did you, Charles, did you know it was uh, two EPs when it first came out, or did you think this was something that was all recorded at the same time? Um, I didn't know it when I bought it, but I saw in the inside liner notes it had the... Uh... Like the cover for uh, Live Life like is Suicide. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, again, I grew up in a small area, so we just had the standard mall, whatever music shop it was then. And uh, they never had Live Like a Suicide anyway, so. I don't I think anyone know. had it. I don't think that was, I think that was only sold in LA. I think only some people <laughs> yeah, in Hollywood had it. Very yeah. limited, yeah. yeah. And, uh, so I had no, I didn't have an idea at all. Like I said, it was just like somebody said, "Hey man, Guns N' Roses got new shit out," and I was like, "Oh, word!" That was pretty much just how it was. And then I happened to be at the the mall maybe a few days later, and I saw it and I bought it. I definitely got it before the Patience video was out. Uh, I think I got it around Christmas time. Oh, cool! And that Chris, you know, like during that two weeks you had off or whatever. I feel like also, Christmas break. Also, yeah. it just like they're the ultimate MTV band. Charles <clears> said they're, yeah. they're the ultimate going to the mall to buy their album band. <laughs> 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 I, I bought the Use Your Illusion albums at a record store in the mall. <laughs> you know, it's that era. Yeah. You know, it's that period. And so let's uh, we'll start this off with uh, as and just to state this, if anyone's listening to this and doesn't know, and I can't imagine they don't know. Yes, Lies is two EPs. One was actually prior to Appetite for Destruction. It was an 86 EP, Live Like a Suicide. Not a real live album. I didn't know that back then. I did know they were two EPs too, because yes, Charles, they mentioned that in the liner notes. But they didn't mention that it was fake, a fake live EP in the liner notes. I found that out much later that they recorded these four songs in the studio. You know, it's that Kiss influence. They recorded (laughs) and and then added the sound effects uh, later, the the crowd sound later. And, you know, like Ralph Riera always says, 
that mean, means it's great. You know, the best live albums are the fake live albums. <laughs> so, oh, I fucking agree. Yeah, and so... Fuck Live After Death, most overrated fucking live album ever. Bruce Dickinson yeah. sounds like ass. Yeah, this this uh, this is great. So this is what, even though it's an EP, it's one of the great live, fake live EPs of all time. I love it. But yeah, this, and then the second half was recorded in 1988, and that's the four acoustic songs. So those four songs were recorded after Appetite Destruction, and we'll talk about that when we talk about it. But let's st- jump in with the first half of Lies, which is the live like a suicide part. And let's start with you, Charles, since you're our guest. Let's start with Reckless Life. What do you think of Reckless Life? Well, it was uh, written by Axel Izzy and Chris Weber, who was an uh, early collaborator. We were in the band Hollywood Rose together and i think this is more likely a hollywood rose song that bled over um song opens with slash yelling into the mic hey fuckers suck on guns and roses i i had to look that up is that slash time. i always thought it was tough yeah oh. they say it's slash <laughs> where it. it could have been either or actually i know they both but, have that same drunken fucking way of talking <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, you just sound like a dumb punk guy. That's why I thought it was dumb. <laughs> but like you pointed out, I mean, live like a suicide is as live as a live was, and uh, I didn't know that either at the time. Well, it's a, a live too. The the drums on a live are actually real. Uh, yeah. a live live too. Everything's everything's <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> live two, I like better than the live one. Ooh, yeah. That's me, you know? That one, but yeah, you could have fooled me though, because I wouldn't have known at the time, that's yeah. for sure. But yeah, especially this sound. For, this sound uh, it has that energy. It has that energy. It sounds live, you know. But for an in-studio recording, you know, it works for me. Uh, on all the live, like suicide tracks, the sound of Adler's drums, I thought, were absolutely fantastic. Uh, Axel's ripping on it, even though the song. Uh, gets lost in translations you know in the annals of time it's actually slams really hard to me and help keep the momentum going that they established on appetite is this was the real deal here uh i personally think it'd uh, be cool if they brought it back to the shows a little bit today uh it's old school gnr manifesto in a song i thought it was a very good track i i agree 110 percent i fucking love this song i think it's one of their best songs and yeah they were really legit and izzy was in the band maybe they'd be playing reckless life <laughs> anyway but yeah it's great it's rocking it was a hollywood rose song you're right charles uh it, correct me if i'm wrong so that was axel izzy and tracy guns was that the core lineup of hollywood and rose is that it does anyone know I, oh yeah i mean it's so no, hard I, to keep track. no is wait no I was wrong. It's Chris Weber. Chris Weber, yeah, I think. And uh, Axel bounced between that and L.A. Guns. Yeah. And then Tracy Guns was in Guns N' Roses, and then I mean, there was a lot of like. Slash and Stephen Adler line. played with them for a bit too, but after yeah. Axel and, and Izzy left, it's weird. There's a lot of fucking people playing with this band. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Hollywood Rose essentially was. It's like what's that ba- that band London? You know, uh, and, yeah, they're like a band like this in LA where everyone was kind of in that band. Quiet Riot was a little like that too, where there's this band that everyone's kind of in for a bit, but 
then nothing happens with that or band. Or London. Yeah, that's why I said London. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. love uh, London. Yeah, so it's a little like that. Uh, but yeah, Reckless Life. But you know, you'll see you'll see Stradlin's uh, name pop up a lot in the songwriting credits here. It's almost like he's one of the key songwriters at Guns N' Roses or something. But anyway, so Axel and uh, Izzy and Chris Weber uh, were the songwriters for this. And yeah, it fucking this is a straight up gritty fucking. This is like the song that shows you like the difference between the glam metal. And, and this is like real straight up, dirty, sleazy street rock and roll. I love it. It's like where punk and rock and roll and heavy metal all mixes together. It's, you know, exactly the kind of song I love. It's an awesome song. I can't imagine that Eric Jordan or MCP doesn't also love it. What do you think of Reckless Like? Oh, man, I, well, I agree with you. Freaking this, this ain't where the fucking down boys go. This ain't no... Leather boys playing with their electric toys. No, this is fucking Reckless Life. I will admit, this song was kind of a grower. Uh, I'm actually more of a fan, spoiler alert, of the second half of no, this album as opposed I would to not the first have, half. I would not have guessed that. Yeah, it's funny because I'm more of the metal guy and you're more yeah. of a hard rock guy. So you think I like the, you know, you think I like the, you know, the electric stuff a little bit more than the acoustic stuff. But this is still a great song. It was, it was a grower, like I said, you know. It's a great song, and it today I was listening to it, and it almost kind of reminded me of Rats in the Cellar, like especially like the the guitar work on it. it reminds me a little bit of Rats in the Cellar by Aerosmith, which is an amazing song. Um, I love Axel's voice on this. You know, there's something about his voice. You know, you know, at the Appetite era and the pre-Appetite era that was just very different from his. You know, use your illusion voice. There's something different, more aggression, and like a. You could still, you could tell he still didn't have a whole lot of technique. This is just him going off of, uh, you know, what he has naturally. Whereas Use Your Illusion, he kind of almost develops more of a technique. Yeah. And I, I love this song, you know. And I don't know if you, you guys ever read the book Reckless Life. It was like a, it's a book that documents them from their their early days all the way up until like, you know, right when they're signed. Like uh, Slash's best friend, who was a photographer, he like basically documented like every show. Every performance, every major event of their lives. Did you guys ever read that book? I uh, have. You have? Yeah. I used to own a copy of it, and I gave it to my friend Nick Mills. I read a great book. The Guns N' Roses book I read uh, is, was called uh, Watch You Bleed. Did you ever... I read that one. Read? Yeah, I, I read really... it from the school library multiple times. Yeah, that because that, that one got was unauthorized, so it got really down and dirty. And that's where yeah. I, I get, know a lot about Guns N' Roses from. <laughs> you ever read that one, Charles? Watch You Believe. Yes, I, I, uh, true I fan. He reads all the books. <laughs> I, read, I read Adler's. I read the Duff one. I read that one. I read Duff's. I read the same Slashes. Guy, the same guy that wrote the Watch You Bleed also wrote an Axel biography. Just one about Axel? I haven't read that one. Yeah, I'll have to read that. Mick um, Wall did, did it. I don't know. I have multiple books. So. It's good to, Watch You Bleed, I found it was like a horror novel because like in the second half, it was like a slasher film and Axel <laughs> was slowly killing every members of Guns N' Roses. And it's like Duff is like the perfect final girl, like kind of pretty <laughs> blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> the last one standing <laughs> then Axel kills uh, but Edwin I definitely recommend you check out Reckless Life uh, I remember I remember like when me and Nick Mills first started hanging out I believe it was uh, his it was his sophomore year my junior year 
uh, we'd start hanging out. We'd always go to Guitar Center, and that book was only available like online or at Guitar Center, and I would read it every time we went to Guitar Center and just look at the pictures because it was so many just cool pictures, set list. And um, I, I remember like there were a couple times Nick Mills was like, you know, because he used to – you know, he used to shoplift from, you know, we were a bunch of punk-ass kids. We, he used to shoplift from Guitar Center, a lot of things. He'd always tell me, like, every time, like, hey, you want me to, want me to, like, sneak this out for you? I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I'm going to ask for it for Christmas. And shout out to my Aunt Liz and my amazing Uncle Len. May he rest in peace. Uh, they they bought for me uh, for Christmas that year. I believe it was 2010. Uh, you know, Uncle Len, man, I, I love that guy. He loves him some Guns N' Roses and some other, like, great music. You know, may he rest in peace. Uh, let me tell you something, Eric. Nice boys don't shoplift. Did you know that? Ooh, I love that segue. Uh, uh, there you go. They don't <laughs> shoplift, and they definitely don't rock and roll. What do you think of nice boys, Charles? Well, this is a cover of a Rose Tattoo band out of Australia that I had never heard of at this point, but have listened to it since. Uh, yeah, kudos to them, too, for... Uh, throwing a cover of what would have been an obscure song to contemporary American ears at the time. I'm sure uh, in that uber competitive Sunset Strip club days that, you know, a lot of these type of uh, covers were played prevalently, and I have to believe there was a premium on these obscure types of covers. Yeah, it's a little like Metallica doing Diamond Head. People would assume... The band, it was probably their song. Like, they probably yeah. just thought Nice Boys was a Guns N' Roses song, I'm sure. Yeah, totally. And then, uh, you know, once again, Adler's drumming just stands out. And Duff ain't too far behind with that bass work on this one. Uh, I uh, Slash is doing his thing, and I hear a bit of slide, which I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of slide cars, but it works here. Um... But ultimately, Axel owns this track. It was this. It was this. This song was written for him to sing all along, um, and a lot of the singers at that time wish they had that ability, and they didn't. Yep. It was. It's actually my favorite on the uh, live portion of the Live Like a Suicide EP. Wow, awesome. Well, yeah. Um, have either of you? I have. I actually own it. It's one of my favorite albums. Actually, the first Rose Tattoo album, which like. I- Everyone in America, yeah, I didn't know who the fuck Rose Tattoo were when I first heard this. Actually, it wasn't until many, many years. I would say it was post-internet. Yeah, it was probably like post-internet, like the 2000s, maybe mid-2000s, when I looked up Rose Tattoo and found out their ACDC connection and that the first album was produced by Vanda and Young. That's Harry Vanda and George Young, who famously produced all the Bon Scott, most of the Bon Scott era, you know, ACDC albums. And they produced this, the first Rose Tattoo album, which had this song, Nice Voice, which was self-titled. Have any of you listened to that album? I have not. Song. It's a great album. I recommend it. I mean, if you if you like ACDC, yeah, if you like Bon Scott or ACDC, it's not like the songwriting's not quite on that level, but it has that sound. Angry Anderson is a great vocalist. You know, he was an influence on Axel. Has a little kind of somewhere between Bon Scott and Brian Johnson kind of shriek. Very just very cool, straight up like pub rock, almost like ACDC, but less clever and less like complex. You know, it's just kind of like a 
dumber, simpler ACDC. If you can imagine that. That's Rose Tattoo. <laughs> I, um, I've never heard... Uh, they're a band I haven't done a deep dive into. It was Rose Tattoo. But I do have a funny story about them where um, I saw the a video of theirs on Metal Mania um, when I was real young. Metal Mania on VH1 Classic. I used to watch all the time. My dad had the Comcast digital cable and he had like all the channels. So, you know, whereas my mom's house, we just had like, you know, we had basically every channel up to 99. And my dad had all the other channels. So he had VH1 Classic. And I watched that religiously when I'd go to his house for the weekend. Because my parents are divorced. And I loved watching Metal Mania. And that's where I discovered so many new metal bands. Watched all these music videos. That was like my MTV since I was born, you know, in 93. You know, and I missed that whole generation. But I saw a Rose Tattoo video. And I had heard about them because I had this book, The Encyclopedia of Heavy Metal. And there's like, you know, it was basically just like A to Z, all these different metal bands. And Rose Tattoo was in there. I saw a video. Now, I was like in elementary school at the time. And a lot of people are going to make fun of me for this. Also, a lot of people may get mad at me for this, which, you know, I don't know why. But when I was a real little kid, I had this like weird, like fear, like phobia of midgets or, like, <laughs> or dwarves. I don't know what the sure. hell they want to be called now, you know. So I'm sorry if I offend anyone. <laughs> I don't know what she liked to be called, but I I used to have, like, a legit have a fear of, like, you know, midgets. If I saw a midget on TV, I'd get, like, real freaked out. Like, I don't know what it was. So would Udo from Accept, would he have freaked you out? Um, you know, luckily a lot of the Accept videos I watched, like, the angles they shot it at, you couldn't <laughs> tell he was, a, like, you could tell he was probably embarrassed by how tall he was, so, like, he probably had him shoot at certain angles. But Angry Anderson was so short, like, he was, like, probably like I, I think he's like i don't know if he's like legally a midget or not but I don't know he is, it, borderline he is short that video creeped me out i was i like had to like run away i'm like ah like i ran to the kitchen so i didn't have to see the tv because i'm like it's a pretty cool song but i can't watch it because he's creeping me out and i don't know what it was like i just had like this fear of midgets when i was a real little kid obviously i grew out of it because you know midgets are fucking awesome but uh <laughs> <laughs> That's my rose tattoo story. I, I never done a deep dive. Get it. over your phobia and listen to the first rose tattoo album. Yeah, I know this song and I know uh, Scarred for Life because that was the video I saw, and I know the song Rock and Roll Outlaw because yeah. I like uh, the Keel the, cover. That's the first song on uh, the first album. Is Rock and Roll Outlaw and it goes yeah. in, in nice voice, which I think is the second song on that album. I think they're mirroring. Let me look at that. I haven't listened to it in a bit. Um, I do own it, but I haven't listened to it in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm right. Nice Voice is the, also the second song on the first album. Nice. So, so they're mirroring what Rose Tattoo did. Now I have to listen to the Rose Tattoo version because I will say and. Uh, May, you know, you guys may be shocked, but this is actually probably my least favorite song on the app. Well, no, there's another song I, I do not like. Um, but this is one of my least favorites on the album, and this song just never did anything for me. Uh, uh, maybe I need to hear the Rose Tattoo version, because maybe their version's a little better, but this one never uh, grabbed me. You probably won't like that one, then. Uh, I do think you'll like some stuff on that album, uh, but, okay. but you probably won't like Nice Boys, because I think, if anything, the GNR version's a little bit better. It cooks a little bit more. Yeah, uh, uh, it's a little raw, and, and I do think uh, even though Angry Anderson was a great vocalist, I do think Axel kind of owns him a bit. I think Axel just sounds okay. fucking possessed. That rhythm section, which I'm gonna get into a lot when we talk about the next song, but yeah, and, I, uh, 
It's a catchy song. Well, wait, wait, fuck it. Let's just get into it. Oh, wait, man. Real now. quick, too. This fuck. was also... Nice Boys was actually almost the name of my band in high school. Me and okay. Nick Mills, we, we literally, like, we were one of those bands. We were, like, you know, like the typical, like, sitcom or whatever. We, yeah. we literally changed our band name every week because we can never agree on a band name. We called ourselves Wet Cherry because I wanted to call ourselves Wet Cherry after watching Decline Western Civilization. We were, um, we had a bunch of different names, um, Savage Youth or something, and, uh, I, or Wasted had, Youth. My band, I had so many stupid band names. Yeah. So, my mom, high school. The Pecan Sandies. We we had Cajun Messiah was one. Psychedelica, uh, crazy <laughs> crazy scene dads. We had, we had a lot of stupid names. Yeah, so we had some stupid names too. We were Mop, Wasted Youth, uh, Pecan Sandies, a bunch of assholes with instruments. And Nice Boys is one of the names like uh, chosen. I'm like, man, fuck that. It sounds like some Backstreet Boys shit. We're not naming our band the, the Nice Boys. By the way, it's a Cajun Messiah. We had a mascot. Our mascot was an alligator with a chef's hat who was uh, crucified. Smiling. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid that it is like awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like we weren't even like Southern Rock. I don't even know why we were <laughs> Cajun Messiah. We liked Guns N' Roses. Like we liked Aerosmith, ACDC, Guns N' Roses, but we yeah. played it. But we played it badly, so everyone called us punk. They're like, oh, they're punk rock. And we're like, oh, should we tell them that we're just playing classic rock badly? No, just let them think it's on purpose. Okay, we're <laughs> punk rock. <laughs> uh, so let's get into Move to the City. I would say the easily the most known song on this side of the album, on the Live Like a Suicide album. This became a concert staple. Uh, so if there was a song people would know from this side of the album, it would be this one. What do you think of Move to the City, Charles? Well, this song has Izzy's fingerprints all over it, and yep. it's it's almost like his welcome to the jungle, as far as uh, you know. I believe there's a lot of autobiographical elements here lyrically, and probably his experiences getting to L.A. And uh, honestly, and actually, Izzy at one point was in a band and where he was he was the drummer, where all the members dressed in drag, and. Uh, he was also a coke dealer of some money. Oh, yeah. He also uh, pimped out some ladies, too. Uh, he was, yeah, he was, he was selling drugs, actually. You know the story about him and Aerosmith? No. Yeah. Oh, oh, Eric doesn't know. Let me tell Eric. Well, say it for the viewers, too, as well as myself. Okay. Okay, for <laughs> Eric and the viewers that don't know, Charles knows, because he knows everything about this man. But, okay. Um, so, the first time Guns N' Roses are opening up um, you know, they're opening up for uh, Aerosmith on the permanent vacation tour. And, you know, at, and there's, you know, at the very, the, you know, Appetite for Destruction, a lot of people forget, Charles knows this, but the, it was a little bit of a slow burn. Uh, Nevada's mm-hmm. Nevermind was like this too. Like, it didn't break right away, as he pointed out too. One of the Jungle got like re-released after Sweet Child of Mine blew up. Like, it was the first single, but it didn't really take off. It was Sweet Child of Mine that took off. So it was like late 87. In the beginning of 87, they weren't quite taking off, but there was a big buzz about them, obviously, and they were on the same label as Aerosmith, Geffen. So they were the opening act. By the time that tour was done, Guns N' Roses were even bigger than Aerosmith. Which, and Aerosmith were you know, really big at that point, too. It was their comeback. But anyway, when they were first on the tour, there were concerns because Joe Perry goes, they had just met Guns N' Roses for the first time, 
And Joe Perry apparently went to uh, the management, I wrote the tour manager or someone, he went to them and said, we can't play with this fucking band. And they go, why not? Because the guy there, their rhythm guitarist, he's a fucking uh, drug dealer. He sold me He sold me heroin once. <laughs> and Eros was trying to be sober now. You know, this is their post trying to be sober years. So I can't be playing with a band that has the guy itself that can sell me smack. <laughs> but then they were like, no, no, he doesn't do that anymore. It's cool. It's cool. Come on. It's Geffen. Come on. They're big. You got to do it. So he kind of let it slide. But there was concerns. <laughs> there was concerns. <laughs> because Izzy sold Joe Perry heroin. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, both Joe Perry and Steven Tyler were junkies. You know, Steven Tyler was in a fucking hotel room in New York City before Done With Mirrors. Just, you know, but they were both totally fucked up. And Izzy was preying on that. <laughs> I remember hearing a story. I think my friend Nick Mills read in uh, Duff McKagan or Slash's book. I believe it was Duff McKagan's book about you know, Motley Crue, like when Guns N' Roses first partied with Motley Crue, and uh, he said, like, dude, we went to a party with them, and, you know, like, some at some point in the night, I was throwing up blood, and Motley Crue, for them, they were just getting started, so, I mean, and those bands, man, they could just fucking, those bands, man, they could just, they are indestructible back then. Yeah, it's really impressive, I gotta say, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a drinker, you know, I could drink a lot of scotch, but God, you know, you know, and I'm you know, done a few bumps of coke here and there. Oh, I used know. to do shit tons of blood. Oh yeah, but, but 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 you know, what? I never did like hard. I never did heroin or anything like that. Never, I never did. Yeah. So, yeah, and you know what? It's just these guys. I'm not saying I don't want to glamorize it, um, but it is impressive that these guys could get so fucked up and still live. I don't know how. Yeah. They, I really don't because it's just like, god damn it, you know, fuck it. After five beers, I'm like, I can't do anything. So I, can't, <laughs> I can't only imagine what these guys do fucking living on the edge like that. I guess you build a tolerance for it. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing about Izzy. Izzy, he was a real shady character, but that's what gave him his edge, you know? <laughs> I mean, he was selling drugs. He was pimping out women. He was like, you know, Axel's living outside a fucking guitar center. He's essentially a homeless fucking person. They're, you know, they, they were really in the street, these guys. You yeah. Know? Slash and yeah. Steven Adler, not so much. They came from middle-class California homes, you know. And At Slash, one point, one but, point they lived in a storage unit. Yeah, they I mean, to, to get... Art yeah. And shit. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Izzy and Axel were real street people. They really were, you know. Um, and, you know, Duff was... He was more middle-class, too. He, you know, he came from Seattle, came down later. But, yeah, Axel... And that's why they're the core of the band. That's the thing. Axel and, and Izzy, the two boys from Indiana, they were, like, the real scumbags in the band. They are from the, Indiana. There you go. <laughs> that's why you rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, they were the real rock and roll guys in the band. They were the guys living on the street. They were the guys living on the edge. These were the guys that had the stories. The other three guys are very talented, and you're gonna hear me gush a lot about Duff and Steven in a bit, in a bit. But Axel and Izzy, they were the real deal. Yeah, you know? don't fuck with Axel and uh, Izzy, man. They'll shove a fucking. They're from Indiana. They'll fucking shove a corn cob up your ass. Yeah, that's the thing. This, this is like Breaking Bad type <laughs> shit. These guys are from Indiana, and they were real fucking bad white trash guys that could fuck your shit up so, so uh move to the city uh have you said everything you want to say about it uh, well i mean you know in the end it's a very stonesy sounding type song it had some horns in it you know which was yeah it, a la aerosmith at the time that was like kind of in vogue and uh it's a definitely a better 
better version. I, I think they went down that road with Bad Obsession later yeah. on, and which was paled in comparison to this song. And uh, it's a it's a it's a quiet classic from Guns N' Roses. Uh, it's not one that people blast out a lot, but it's definitely a classic one to my ears. So I dig it. I like that term. Did you invent that? Quiet classic? I just did. I totally well, Awesome. Okay, that's I like a term. That term. We're stealing it from you. It's going to become okay. a, a rock all over your term, but we'll always give you credit for it, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> give me some royalties. A quiet yeah. classic. I like it. It's a perfect way to describe it. And I agree 110%. I would say, yeah, this is my favorite song on the live part and my second favorite song overall. I love Move to the City. To me, this this yeah i hear some stones but i also hear aerosmith like you said too it's very aerosmith very mid-70s sleazy aerosmith the horns are nice and buried in the mix which is how i like my horns um, <laughs> they, they give a little groove to it but not as overpowering as they were on bad obsession overall just more dirty sounding and badass so this is like mean pimp drug dealing izzy's you know straddling that's the guy who knows how to write a fucking song and it just has this and i agree also that this is like his welcome to the jungle it's just swaggering and tough the guitars sound great i love everything about it axel sounds great you can tell he's channeling steven tyler doing a lot of jazzy kind of hard rock and scatting on it and stuff but this is where i want to talk about steven Adler and duff mckagan what a great rhythm section and this is the real thing this is even though i think use your illusions the especially use your illusion 2 has a lot of great songs on it thing that's really lacking on those two albums is a fucking fucking junky drummer named steven adler and his fucking cowbell and his fucking swing and that's there's just a groove him and duff this is like, remember what when we were doing Girls, 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 and one of the big things that we kept uh, coming back to again and again is every time they tried to sound like Aerosmith, they sucked. <laughs> Whenever they tried to do like a bluesy or boogie-woogie kind of Aerosmith-sounding song, you could just tell like they just didn't have that rhythm to it. They just didn't have that swing or soul. They just couldn't do it. But Duff and Steven Adler, they do it. They nail it. They're in the pocket. Like, if you listen to Duff's bass line, too, he's, like, walking. He's doing all kinds of stuff. And and fucking Adler has such a great swing on this song, you know? And it's just, like, they got that Joey Kramer, Tom Hamilton thing down. You, know, you could tell that they studied these guys, and they know how to create that groove. And they're, like, the unsung... Like, in the same way, I think... From a songwriting standpoint, I feel like Izzy Stradlin is unsung. I feel from a, a musical standpoint, Stephen Adler and Duff are unsung. You know, everyone's always, it's always Slash and Axel, Slash and Axel, you know? Duff and Stephen Adler, that's like the musical heart of the band in terms of the groove. They, they dig out that fucking groove and it's all over this song. I love it. What do you think of Move to the City, Eric Jordan, RMCB? Oh man, this this song, I will admit, it was a grower. I did not like it when I first heard it, but now it's probably, you know, between the, the four songs on the Live Like a Suicide side, the first half, this is my favorite. Right. Holy shit, this song fucking rules, and I do agree. I like uh, how this one, they bury the fucking horns, uh, whereas the Use Your Illusion version, man, you just hear those fucking horns, and it's 
you know, not to use your illusion album, but I'm talking about the the DVD, yeah. the concert DVD. Oh which, yeah, when they played it live. Yeah, they did it live. So yeah. I was at. Yeah, and they make it real Vegasy. And also, yeah, and I hated fucking, that man. And, and Matt Sorum can't fucking swing. Yeah, Matt Sorum's just too fucking technical, and I'm I'm glad you pointed out uh, Duff and Steven. Because I really feel like, you know, when Steve, you know, a lot of people talk about Izzy leaving the band really killed the band. Uh, I think Steven leaving the band really hurt the band because he lost that, you know, that swing, that groove. To me, that middle set, the rhythm section of Guns N' Roses is what really made them stand out. You know, once you got Matt Storm in there was, you know, technical drumming. No offense against Matt Storm. He's a great drummer when it comes to you know certain types of music but he just did not work with a band like gnr it just did not sound right and it was never the same you know steven's swing in this song really adds so much and i hate that vegasy version he had the three girls on the saxophone or the the horns and they to quote my friend nick mills they both look all three of them look like they never took a fucking shower ever (laughs) you know and it's a shame too is they they were not you know, no, not to be mean, but they were not very good looking because they had the two uh, uh, black female uh, background singers who were sexy as fuck. But then you got, uh, you know, yeah, then you got like these these three chicks on saxophone and horns that, you know, they look like they hadn't taken a bath. They're not the best looking. So it's like, oh, God, it sounds horrible and it looks horrible. But they look more like the type you could get with, though. So. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> That's where Charles would go, like right for them. He's smart. He's like, I'm not wasting my time with those other fine sisters. I don't have to do too much work to give these fine ass, these two fine ass black girls. You know, I'm, I'm just gonna go for these like really like hood rat looking chicks on the horns. I'm going right to the chicken head horn players. <laughs> well, hey, you know they can blow really good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ax- Axel made that joke at the show I was at. No way, really. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he made that <laughs> joke at every show he was at. Different time, and we'll get more into that towards the end. One last thing, a quick thing about the Adler deal is uh, he really owes Duff a lot because he started out with like the whole stereotypical metal drum kit with the double bass and the huge kit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Duff was like, you don't need this, you don't need that. <laughs> You need yeah. to strip the drum kit down to the bare minimum. That's yeah. true. Yeah, you know, he... I heard a, I heard a story, and I, th- my friend Nick Mills, who is like a big GNR fan, I think he read it in one of the books, and I don't know how true it is. I heard Axl Rose like stole his, uh, his second bass drum, and like I don't know if he like put it in a closet or if like he threw it away or something. But like they did not want him to have that double bass, so like like one of the members, I believe it was Axl, like hit it or like he got rid of it so like he could just keep the one bass drum which also he worked out for the better because they you know steven adler like i said he's an unsung hero of gnr yeah the whole band was like uh i know axel and duff were de- and izzy i don't know if slash care but yeah those three guys were definitely wanted uh steven adler to strip down but they kept the cowbell which is what's important and that's another thing he even yeah fucking, tommy lee can't even fucking play a cowbell right <laughs> <laughs> Even plays that in a clunky way, you know. Stephen Adler fucking hits that cowbell just like Peter Chris would have. He's great, and you hear Joey Kramer, and you just and Peter Chris, you just he's got that swing. Mm-hmm. And there's there's just a fun like you know Stephen Adler. He plays the way he looked when he played, you know, like yeah. he's a fucking party. Like yeah, man. 
he's having <laughs> fun and it's in the groove and I just you know you know it's funny because Duff McKagan played most of his adult life with like Matt Sorum you know and it's just like but dude like can't you hear like you know like you were so much better with Steven Adler like he just yeah, that, your, your bass playing just popped more with Steven Adler you guys were just in the pocket you sounded like a great 70s rock band playing in the 80s you know yeah and yeah, yeah this song's fucking awesome so you know Chief Duff used to be a drummer like in one of his earliest bands he was actually a drummer before he was a bass player and I know when Matt Storm came in the band you know when Matt Storm would do his drum solo uh Duff would actually come on and play drums like like right next to him yeah so well, he had he, a good understanding he could also play guitar too he he's like yep. Jeff Pilson he's one of these really talented like all-around musicians he had musicians yeah he, he only played bass with Guns N' Roses because he was he considered himself more of a guitarist but they there was an opening for a bass player and they were like already there was like already around the, the Sunset Strip a myth like uh, they already had a reputation Guns N' Roses were already considered to be like the band to be in he was like the last he was the last member to join so he's like I gotta get in this band that everyone's talking about everyone's talking about Axel as like the hottest singer on the Sunset Strip everyone went to be in a band with him and he had just moved in from Seattle so he's like okay I'll fucking play the bass so he just kind of it's kind of like Paul McCartney and the Beatles. Like, yeah. he, he just taught himself to play bass really quick, you know? <laughs> he's more of a guitarist, but he's like, he, he learned real quick and he's a great bassist. He's also, he helped him a lot for arrangements. Like, Guns N' Roses songs are arranged in very interesting ways. They have like codas come in and different parts. And that it's something that kind of Lars Ulrich does a bit with James Hetfield, like, you know, where he gets involved in the arranging of the songs. Yeah. And Duff did that a lot, too. So he is, he's important. I'd say that Duff's, I consider Duff the third most important member in terms of songwriting, uh, more so than Slash. Again, I listen, Slash had his moments. Everyone knows I love Locomotive and Estrange, and Slash had a big part in those songs. But I'm talking overall, I feel it's Axel, then Izzy, and then Duff, and then maybe Slash and Steven Nadler, like in terms of importance of songwriting. What do you think, Charles? That's, you know, for this little side pocket debate. How would you rank uh, them? In terms of importance of the songwriting. Duff? Which guy? I'm saying, do you, th- do you agree that Duff, from a songwriting standpoint, added a little more to the band overall to sl- than Slash? Well. Oh yeah, especially with arrangements because yeah. he had so many varied um, influences. Because it wasn't just—I mean, he always thought of himself as a punk guy, but yet he also openly said he admired Prince. Yeah, he was a big Prince fan, so I think he brought in that funk element a little more, right? R and B-ish type elements, and um, yeah, I mean, totally. I, I mean, I, but on his own, again, I don't think he just like you said earlier i think axel's done better stuff without them and i don't know that he's he's had some decent little solo stuff but not a lot yeah no not a lot mm-hmm. you just i bought his solo album for my best friend at like i used uh one of those uh disc replay stores and i, I listened to it before i gave it to him it was like a birthday or christmas present and uh wasn't a big fan but it's like you said edwin it's like these guys, like, they need each other. Like, they can't really do what they do with, you know, together that they, you know, that on their own. Yeah. So, uh, so was that me that you had? Bought what's him, that? Or was it Believe in Me, Bottom Eric? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had, I had it back in the day, and I had a couple I, good songs. The title was, track was a catchy little song, but overall, 
not that great, you know? I was, I was opening day bar, unfortunately. Same with Izzy Stradlin's Juju yeah, Hounds. It, it, it was the same thing. Like, you know, a couple good songs, but nothing <laughs> nothing, nothing like what he was doing, even just, just on the Use Your Illusion album. Like, imagine, like, why isn't there songs like Double Talk and Jive in 14 years? Like, there, there's nothing like that on exactly. You just get my baby wants to Vietnam. Oh God! I mean, that suddenly his lyric writing was just very pedestrian and cliched. Like he just never cared about writing really. Whereas in Guns N' Roses, his lyrics were awesome. They were, you know, filled oh. with color and personality. Have you, ever, have you ever thought of the maybe the thought? To me, I've thought this that I think Izzy is he writes what he is and his environment and. Yeah. And he wrote those classics with Guns N' Roses. Like you said, he was a pimp. Yeah, he was living he the life. So he was yeah. living in a, you know, he was living on the streets. He was doing right. drugs. He was in a very dark place where it was like, once he got sober, it's like, you're not in that dark place where you can write like kind of those revolutionary lyrics. I think yeah, he also he, kind of, Axel was kind of amused too. You know what I mean? Like you're living with a crazy guy like Axel. Yeah. You're in a band with him. He's giving you shit to write about. You know, yeah. It's like, it's like you said, they they needed each other. They're all talented, but the thing is, when they're on their own, they can't do what they did with Guns N' Roses on their own because they need each other. Well, Led Zeppelin were the same way. I yeah, mean, oh, Led, Led Zeppelin page. solo was horrible. Yeah, I mean, I like the I, you know I love the the cover Dale Page album, but that's it. That's like that and Def yeah. Two soundtrack. Two things. There's only two things I like that Jimmy Page did after Led Zeppelin. Like it just like those four, and I don't like any of the Robert Plant solos. Oh, Robert Plant solo sucks. Yeah, it sucks. Ter- and he was the weakest link in my opinion with Led Zeppelin. But it's just an odd thing. Like, but together those guys created something. Like they just needed each other. And Guns N' Roses were just like that. They were a band that they you take one away, you take one away, it's a, not quite as good. It, it, that's use your illusion albums, but it could still work, you know. But if yeah. you take any more than that, that's it. It all falls apart, you know. That's yeah, just like that Juju Hounds album. They, he moved back to Indiana, bought a ranch, put a go kart track in. He was living country life again, and it sounds like a harder rock version of Mellencamp. I was just gonna say that. Yeah, <laughs> he, he just nailed it. Yeah, it's like Mellencamp. That's yeah, I guess because he's living that kind of life then. Yeah, he's like yeah. I'm just, I'm just being chilled. So he's just chilling. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, I like. I, I have mixed feelings about it. On one hand, I'm happy that Izzy has a nice, boring life. <laughs> but at the other, you know. But then it's just like, ah, oh, but it means the music's not as awesome anymore. So you know. Right. So, <laughs> the danger uh, of and roses. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I don't. I don't like it. I don't want Izzy to die just because I wanted to keep writing great songs. But I don't know. Maybe there's some middle ground where maybe he could just risk his life risk his life a little bit <laughs> we talked about this with dream machine about like how man it's like i don't want these bands to keep doing these hard drugs and like kill themselves but at the same time it's like they wrote such great music yeah it's like yeah they destroyed their lives but maybe maybe i don't know it's just like hey there's people make sacrifices soldiers sacrifice their lives you know so yeah. maybe artists should sacrifice their lives maybe a few Physical graffitis and volume fours and appetite for destruction. Like maybe, maybe we should have some deaths to have to enrich culture. You know, to elevate art. I don't know. It's it's definitely worth discussing. Uh, what do you think, Charles? Is it worth people dying to create great art? Uh, yeah. 
for us. What happened to Aerosmith? Yeah, Aerosmith better yeah. on drugs. They're all better. Oh my God, way better on drugs. People want Peter oh. Gabriel once they asked him in an interview to say, "Hey, your your older stuff was better. It had more of an edge. Why is that?" He said, "Because I was on drugs." <laughs> that was it. Before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Aerosmith. You went from having songs like Kings and Queens and Train Kept a Rollin' to you know Angel and Crazy. Like God, Pink. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to miss a thing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to miss that song. Jesus <laughs> Christ! <laughs> All right, hey, good segue. Aerosmith, Mama Kid, boom, just did it. <laughs> <laughs> I love these uh, segues, Ed. When you're on a roll here, on a roll for segues. Okay, so well, if Move to the City was very influenced by Aerosmith, so now Guns and Roses are just spelling it out for you, saying, "Yeah, we like Aerosmith a lot." If you didn't know, here you go. Here's an Aerosmith cover. I think. I feel like this is the first time I heard the song, so I feel like I must have got gems like a few weeks or a month or two after this. Because, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the first time I heard Mama Kin, and I love it. It's great. It's a great cover, but no, I'm not going to say it's a great cover. It's a good cover. It's a good cover. It's solid. Well, let's put it this way. It's a good cover. It's a great cover until you heard the Aerosmith version. Then I suddenly realized it was a good cover. Even then, even as a... Uh, adolescent junior high I was like the Aerosmith version is better like as soon as I heard that Aerosmith version I was like holy shit this is even better than the Guns N' Roses version um, but it's a good cover it's got a nice bite to it and you know they, they got the group in a funny way I feel like they do better Aerosmith on Move to the City than on Mama Ken but it's still it's a solid cover they, they you know it's Axel's voice fits it well and you know it's fun in the beginning this is a song about your fucking mother and you know it gets the party going and it shows you yeah this is this is our influence this is like this is like when they were real about their influences like look like look at rose tattoo you got a rose tattoo cover and you got aerosmith cover this is actually shit they were listening to it's not like this fucking spaghetti incident like oh we're like into all this punk rock music you know here they're being honest about the fucking sleazy 70s cock rock that influenced them and you can tell it's so much more authentic. So even though I think it's just kind of a middle, I would say average cover, it's still, it does its job, it's authentic, it's real, and if you never heard Mama Kin, the Aerosmith version, it's a great gateway. And then maybe a young scrappy kid like myself goes and gets gems, and then, oh wow, even better, and then he buys all the Aerosmith albums from the 70s, and it opens up his whole world. So like, yeah, this perfect gateway to 70s Aerosmith, which, you know, is one of my favorite bands of all time, is 70s Aerosmith. Yep. And Mamakin, yeah, so it's good cover of a great song. What do you think, Charles? Well, hey, actually, I'm going uh, oh, to, not oh. to cut off Charles, but I'm going to take this one because I'm going to take a bathroom break real soon. So I'm going to go real quick about Mamakin, and I'll let Charles take over. Go ahead. So Mamakin, man, I, I love this song, and this, this may sound like sacrilege, but... I actually prefer this version over the Aerosmith version. Now, let me explain before you guys crucify me. Uh, the only reason I'm not as big a fan of the Aerosmith version is, one, I heard this version first. And the other reason being, I never liked the first Aerosmith album that much besides Dream On. I always felt the production was horrible, and I, I felt Steven Adler's voice was just not tired. the greatest on that album. And I heard, too, he like kind of 
he held back a lot. Like, he kind of almost tried to change his voice a bit on that first album. Yeah, that first album, Steven Tyler sings more, like, in this, like, lower register. More yeah, of a blue, and I never liked voice. that. I don't mind admitted to that. Yeah, I, I mean, I do feel like you don't really get real Steven Tyler vocals until the next album, Get Your yeah. Wings. And the but, production to me always sounded horrible on that album. Oh, and I'm usually not one to, to, like, look at production or hear production. But that one I just can't get into. It just doesn't sound like... I don't know. It lacks like that punch, you know. But, I I love the guitar tone. I think it has a great guitar tone. I love yeah. the sound of Joe and Brad's guitars but, on it. But I kind of get it. I mean, and you're not as into like blues rock and like things yeah. like the Stones and stuff. And that is like their Stonesiest album. It's the first Aerosmith album. So I kind of get you not like in in their version. Their Mama Kin is a little more Stonesy. So I can kind of hear why you would like the Guns N' Roses version better. I get it. Yeah. yeah. I'm not and, gonna crucify you for it. <laughs> I love, but I love this version and uh, another version I like even more. Uh, you know, one of the things you know, me and my friend Nick Mills, you know, I, I bring him up a lot because he loved him some Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses. You know, we would hang out at his place if we weren't having band practice. We would go on the computer and we go on YouTube, man. We just look up like videos and like live performance clips of uh, the bands we loved. And I remember him showing me the video. I believe they're in France, and GNR. They're on the Use Your Illusion tour, and they bring out Steven Tyler and Joe Perry to play Mama Kin, and it's a hell of a performance. And it's also funny too because uh, you know Slash like went on with the solo a little too long, and like Steven Pierce or uh, not Steven Pierce, Steven mm-hmm. Tyler tried like singing, and like you know Slash basically cuts him off because he doesn't stop soloing. It's Drugs. pretty funny. <laughs> Drugs. <laughs> Drugs, yeah. Uh, but, man, that's a great performance. You've never seen that performance. you got to check it out. But I love their cover of Mama Kin. And I remember, too, one time I'm uh, listening to the song. Honestly, Axl Rose starts off with saying, this is a song about your fucking mother. And I think me and Nick Mills put in some ear, uh, AirPods. We were sharing them, like, just picking different songs. And I told him, like, we're kind of picking songs, like, trying to get the other person to guess what song we were going to pick. And I go to pick, like, Mama Ken, and before I start playing it, I'm like, hey, Nick, this is a song about your fucking mother. Well, he didn't hear me, and he thought I said something about fucking his mother, so he, like, starts, like, choking me out. Like, no, I'm like, no, 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 I'm like, it's it's Mama Ken, it's Mama Ken. And he's like, oh. So, shout to Nick Mills, and shout to Nick Mills' mother. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and Mills. I'm going to use the bathroom, and I'm going to let Charles talk about what he thinks of uh, Mama Kid. What do you think of Mama Kid? You're the tiebreaker here. Let's see. All right. Uh, well, we closed the live like a suicide with this cover of Aerosmith. And uh, as you mentioned, another band that Guns was compared to and it was the staple of their club days. I believe our mutual friend, Dr. Fuck, said this is the only song he remembered when he seen them. Uh, back in those days. Yeah, I man, I would love to fucking see that, man. Yeah. Like, we're in Troubadour and stuff like that. Not quite as good as the original to my ears, but I'm like you, I, this first first time I heard the song was on here. Yeah. Then went back, and I do think Aerosmith's is a little bit better. Um, Ad, You know, Adler's the MVP of the whole live portion, I think. His drums are just slamming on it. Axel singing's great. But I, but, and what is the grandest mystery to me of all of Guns N' Roses' lore is they actually also recorded Shadow of Your Love for this session. 
that song fucking rules and why they never really put it out on anything i'll never understand i would have actually for that to end the album this ep instead of mamakin i like mamakin but that shadow of your love is actually on the appetite box set yeah it's a good song it's a good song maybe they i can kind of see they might have thought it like it didn't have it wasn't as upbeat might not have the same energy maybe I don't, know. I, mean, I don't understand it. I mean, if you, I think it wasn't put on appetite because it disrupted the flow. Yeah, it might have been the same yeah. thing here. Like maybe they just well, thought you, that this is more of a hot pocket for songs that just kind of <laughs> have an Aerosmith kind of groove. Whereas that right. that song's got a little bit of a different vibe. It's more of a metal song, honestly. Yeah. And there's another song I love that they never officially released, which. I, I love them to have released it, but I get why they didn't because it totally sticks out like a sore thumb is Crash Diet. It's more of like a metal song, you know, even like the solo on it. It's it's a total metal song. I love that song, but I get why they didn't release it. And Chow Your Love's like kind of the same way. It's more of like a metal song. It doesn't really fit in with the bluesy, like Aerosmith, Stonesy rock they're going for. Yeah, maybe yeah. they felt that was more of a hangover from um, Hollywood Rose, and they wanted to kind of get away from that sound. That could be yeah. why. But I think it's such a killer track. I mean, they did release it as a uh, video when they re-released the uh, Appetite box set and all that, gave it a proper single. But it was just one of those grand mysteries because it's such a killer song, and it would have been... It, I mean, I guess kudos to them to give up more role mm-hmm. to other on the live part <laughs> well, they could have put out where they would have made more money on it but or maybe they hey, were thinking hey, hey 40 years from now we might have a box set and we might need a song because we'll be lazy we'll be lazy rich motherfuckers that don't want to write new songs anymore <laughs> and we won't have Izzy with us <laughs> yeah so let's just, we'll, we'll keep a few in, you know the back burner here's our new song from 1986 the, also the incredible part is the whole album is by Guns N' Roses, period. So, I mean, they did a pretty good job producing this, too. All the crowd noises was from uh, a recording of the Texas Jam from the 70s. Yeah, so no way. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they, so did, they did it because they couldn't... I, I, it was actually cheaper to record in a studio than to have a live recording. That's why they did it this way, they said. Thank God yeah. they did, because fake live, fake live albums are the fucking best. Yeah. Now, the next... Part of the album though was produced by Mike Clink. He did Appetite for Destruction, and I gotta tell you, uh, well, I got a lot to say about this. I'll, let me just give you a little framework uh, before we break down the tracks. But now we're getting to the acoustic part of Lies. This is like when I break up. I broke up the two EPs on my music library, as you guys know, because I like to. Because well, they were recorded like two years apart, so I felt like they. I think they they can they do work as an album. I kind of, it, you know, the, um, I don't think uh, Eric would know this, but Charles might, you know, the Bob Dylan album, Bringing It All Back Home. It's mm-hmm. like the first half's electric songs, and then the second half's the acoustic folk songs. So it's like rock and roll and then acoustic. So, and obviously the Guns N' Roses famously did a Bob Dylan song. So I'm sure Axel and Izzy were probably aware of that. So they probably liked the idea that together it became kind of like Bringing It All Back Home. So it kind of works, you know, first half's electric, second half's acoustic. But I don't know, to me, I like them better as two separate EPs. That's how I listen to me. There's something about Live Like a Suicide. It's just this hot, fun, live, like, little pocket EP, and I like it that way. 
And I think the acoustic songs just, you know, they sound like a different band at a different time. They sound like 1988 post Appetite for Destruction Guns N' Roses. So I, I like having that as a separate EP. But I was listening to this today and I hadn't listened. I listen to Live Like a Suicide much more than um, the acoustic part. So it's funny, kind of different from Eric. Uh, you would think it'd be the other way around. But yeah, I like uh, Live Like a Suicide more. But I was I haven't listened to this. And obviously, two of the songs, the first two songs are very burned out for me because the classic rock radio. But I hadn't listened to them in a while. I haven't listened to like Patience or Used to Love Her in a, in a long time. And I was listening to it, you know, with, and I guess the, the production's really amazing. Like It's really well-produced acoustic rock music. And... And obviously, this is very innovative because, like, I think all, this predates MTV Unplugged, right? You know, this uh, I'm pretty sure. And before that Tesla album, too, uh, Five yeah. Man Musical Jam. So, I mean, really, this started that whole trend, that whole trend of, like, we're doing an acoustic, you know, thing. So very innovative. Not, no other bands are doing this. Like, yeah, it's it's going back to, like, the Rolling Stones and stuff like that in the 70s. But at that point in 1988... Everything was still very slick and electric guitars and synthesizers and Guns N' Roses were, uh, you know, pushing, you know, they were making a major step away from that. And this is like, you know, all their hair was straight. They were dressed down more. They had acoustic guitars, videos that were just them in the studio, you know, patience. And this album definitely was a major shift in some ways even more so a little bit than Appetite for Destruction because, like I said, it was bringing this acoustic side and was really stepping away from the hair metal, you know? And so it's it's an innovative uh, album. This section of the album is very innovative, even though I don't like it as much as first half. But it's still all great stuff. A lot of Izzy Stratton's, you know, songwriting throughout. Uh, so what do you think of the big song? Obviously, one of Guns N' Roses' biggest songs and the big hit from this album... What do you think of Patience, Charles? Um, from what I read, it, interestingly to me, uh, all the acoustic songs are credited to the whole band as far as writing. Yeah, you, uh, you have to kind of read them individually to right. figure out what's going on with them. Right. Yeah, I heard. I do hear kind of. Um, I heard like kind of contradictory accounts on patience like generally the band say it's izzy song but then duff said that at least the chorus or like the line you know, the main line of the song you need a little patience came from axel so yeah. and they and then i heard some people say it's about axel's ex but then most say it's izzy's ex-girlfriend so i don't know maybe it's like both of them working on it what what do you what do you know about it charles uh this one it's hard to, it's hard to tell because they all just swap it, yeah, they might have both been fucking. <laughs> I, it's not, to me, it has Izzy's fingerprints because it's very, sto- I, uh, it's very Stonesy. You know, yeah, wild like horses. Yeah, and he was like the Stones guy. I just find it interesting that with the controversy, we'll hit at the end that Axel seemed to make sure all songs were credited to the band. I just thought that. Was <laughs> yeah, suddenly he uh, wanted them all to be yeah. for something. Uh, it was the only single released, and it happens to be my number four favorite GNR ballad. Wow. Not my top. Number four. Song features Izzy Slash and Duff on acoustic guitars, which I thought was interesting because they could have gotten an acoustic bass, but 
Duff just plays little bass runs on an acoustic guitar, which is pretty cool. Adler's just kicking it. You don't even have any percussion on it. Uh, Slash's solo is great to my ears. One of my favorite Slash solos, period. And uh, But Axel steals the show again, especially at the breakdown at the end. Yep. Uh, Patience is one of those songs that harkens back to the 70s to me. And uh, I bet it's a good example of why a lot of the older established bands perked their ears up when they heard this band to include Don Henley, who actually drummed for the band on the AMAs on a live electric version of this song because Adler was in rehab. Oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. Wow. It's on, yeah, it's on YouTube. Uh, and then they, they, they would open for Guns N' Roses, uh, for Rolling Stones on the Stone yeah. Steel Wheels Tour. Yeah. Another yeah. thing we were accepted with was the established rock groups. Uh, all-time GNR classic, and it's a concert staple to this day. It's typically played right before the closer, Paradise City. Uh, excellent track. Um Best best original song on the acoustic side of the album to me. Right. Uh, I do like the song a lot. I can objectively hear it's a great song. It takes a lot from the Rolling Stones' Wild Horses, but hey, you know, it's like they say great artists, you know, good artists borrow, great artists steal. You know, Wild Horses is one of the great Rolling Stones songs, so it makes sense that you can't bike from that. And they do kind of their own thing, especially at the end. I do love that encoda. A little similar to Sweet Child of Mine in the sense that they do this cool coda and Axel's doing some cool stuff vocally. And it's it's a very it's a very pretty song and it's got a lot of feeling. I do I love uh, Slash's acoustic guitar solos on um, this and the last song, which we'll talk about when we talk about the last song. But yeah, some really great acoustic guitar soloing from Slash, kind of similar to like uh, some of Jimmy Page's acoustic guitar soloing. And yeah, it's a, it's a really good song. I can hear why it's a classic. I'm very burned out on it. Although, I haven't heard it in a while, so it was tonight. It was nice listening to it after not hearing it for a while. And I did appreciate it. And it's a it's a really good song. And it had a simplicity to it. And it's kind of like it was something that was kind of lacking in the usual illusion ballads. You know, they all were very grandiose, you know. And even though I do love Estrange, Estrange to my favorite Guns N' Roses ballad, there's something to be said uh, about. I definitely prefer Patience to November Rain, and it's a nice song. It's a good song. It's. I agree. It's the type of song that makes the Rolling Stones feel like they they're like a respectable band. We could put Guns N' Roses on as an opening act. So in some ways, it made them a little less rock and roll, but it also made them kind of a bigger band and more of a respectable band. And it's a good song. And again, also shows like. Hey, like Motley Crue couldn't do a song like this, you know, like there, there are certain things that elevated Guns N' Roses that made them a bigger band than a lot of their competition, in my opinion. And it's songs like Patience, even if it's not one of my personal favorites, like Charles, I can recognize it as a song that distinguished them amongst their peers. What do you think of Patience, Eric? That's where I become the villain, because, man, this song fucking blows. <laughs> I fucking hate... I need some patience to listen to this fucking song. What's today. with you in melodic acoustic songs? <laughs> God, this song just sucks, man. I rather listen to fucking Sometimes She Cries by fucking Warrant than listen to this shit. Oh, man. I just... I can't stand it, and I hate whistling in fucking, like, <laughs> rock and heavy metal. 
you know, Scorpions tried doing it, when to change. It's just, I fucking hate whistling and rock and roll. It doesn't <laughs> fucking belong. Um, I also, too, had an ex-girlfriend that sh- this is, like, one of the songs she loves, so it reminds me of her. But, no, even before then, man, I fucking just, this song I just can't stand. And even the band, I don't think, liked it, because if you watch their Live in Tokyo DVD, which me and my friend Nick Mills used to watch all the time, you know, in the song, like, famously, like, Axel, like, kind of, fucks around during it he says something about like you know you know when he says the line you know i'd rather sit here alone you know waiting for you or something like that and he's like Ugh, bullshit it's just yeah. like this song i just can't stand it man this like this is a song that made me avoid this album for a while because you know i like some stuff off use your illusion honestly i loved appetite as a kid but man like this is the song that represented lies and i was like what the fuck is this whistling bullshit <laughs> I remember the video, too, Axel takes one of those, like, see-through telephones or whatever that, actually, ironically, my dad had a uh, telephone very similar to that one, where it was the clear plastic, and you see all the wiring and stuff, and he smashes it. I bet he smashed that telephone because he got sick of hearing this fucking song. And and, and and this is the side of the album you like best, right? (laughs) This is the side I like best, but does not start off very good, I'll tell you that. Spoiler alert, but man, patience... Not a fucking fan, clearly, after you heard my fucking little rant. <laughs> I understand Silent Lucidity a little bit better. Oh! <laughs> uh, I, I will say, Patience is better than Silent Lucidity. That's not saying much, but it is. <laughs> it's, right. it's very Shining and uh, inspired. <laughs> the video was inspired by The Shining. Really? Really? Yeah. I'll have to watch the video again. I did not... I usually watch the music videos, but I just, like... I've been so busy. We we had like I had like three podcasts I've had to do, so I did not get the time to watch the videos. I thought we watch it. I don't, you know, I don't. I'll hit the I, mute button though. I gotta, I gotta say, I like Axel's whistling. To me, it, there's something authentic about it. It feels like, <laughs> it feels like Indiana boy. He's an Indiana white boy, you know, whistling a tune. It just, <laughs> you know, it feels like something he would've been doing outside some lady's house in indiana to try to impress her like i don't know it just there's some, and i like to break down as well you know which one of my favorite guns and roses songs um I, yeah I, yeah yeah but listen man we like what we like i also don't you don't like the rootier stuff that's the thing i noticed about you too eric you know and this is a very rooty another kind of stonesy song you might not be a stones fan <laughs> uh, <laughs> i would rather listen to i live my life for you by fucking firehouse and this shit yeah, I well, think you, you don't like the roots of your stuff. What do you think, Charles? What do you think of Eric's sustain of patience? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm amazed that he doesn't like the Stones. It's like, yeah. So I guess it's it one of those sense. things. I, I will admit, I I do I get why they are popular and I I respect them. I just you know, I don't know. I just I can't get into the Stones. I do like a couple of songs by them, but like as far as their their catalog and like considering them a favorite band i just i don't know they just they don't do anything for me yeah well you know we like what we like well let's yeah. talk, talk about I, I, let me i because i want to take a uh, a break for just a second okay. so i'm so i'm gonna do this song first and then you guys can discuss but you still love her obviously this is the second song i was talking about because i don't know about where you guys live but i used to hear this a lot on classic rock radio especially in the 90s even though it was not a single it's one of those songs that even though it wasn't technically a single, it got picked up by the radio. I used to, especially by the time Guns N' Roses were kind of canonized in classic rock, that to me, this was the only other song I ever heard on the radio from this album. 
And so there was a period in Philadelphia where I was always hearing Used to Love Her a lot. Not as much as Patience, but it was definitely the second most played song. And it's the kind of song I loved, you know, when I was like 12 or 13. It's like, ah, this is funny. They're talking about killing a lady. Ha ha ha. <laughs> you know, now, now it's a little slight. It's a little meathead and slight. It's catchy. It's like a catchy little ditty. You know, it's it's all right. I don't mind it. I, the guitar playing's great. Great acoustic guitar work. I'll say this for Slash. He does. He's a he's a technically really efficient player, and you can throw a lot of different styles at him, and he nails it. You know, that's that's where I think Slash is best at. It's like Izzy and Axel and Duff can throw him shit, and Slash is like, okay, I can do it. Oh, you want me to be a little funkier here? Okay, I'll be a little funkier here. You want me to be a little more hard rocking here? Okay, I'll be a little more hard rocking. Oh, you want a little pretty acoustic guitar solo? Okay, I'll do a little acoustic pretty guitar solo. He's like, he's like that kind of guy. He can do the job, but if he's left on his own, he doesn't know what the fuck to do, and it's just a bunch of generic fucking, you know, shit. But, but if you if you give him a framework, Slash can shine, you know, as a musician. So, um, and he sounds great. The production's great. It's a catchy, fun song. Uh, but it's definitely a song I'm burned out on, and I, you know, I'm not saying I'm like ooh offended or anything by it, but I don't think it's as subversive and naughty as the band act like it is. That's the only thing. There's kind of this tone to the band, like ha ha ha. It's like this is shit that fucking old blues singers were singing back in the 30s and 40s. Like it's it's nothing new you're doing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I mean, hey Joe, you know, there you go, Jimi Hendrix, hey Joe, it, it, which had more bite and darkness, you know. So it's just like a kind of light twee version of Hey Joe. And like, you know, I'd rather have the darker version where there's some real murder in there, where this is like an empty threat, you know? <laughs> but I don't know, that's just me. That's what I think of it. What do you guys, Charles, what do you think of Used to Love Her? Well, it seems like Izzy's fingerprints again are all over this. And uh, Axel and Izzy pretty much duet on the song. Uh, this could have been the most controversial song, but it won't be, as we cover two songs away. But, hey, we all know that we feel this way from time to time, man. And uh, Axel and the boys had a way to do songs that touch themes that people can feel, whether they want to admit it or not. And uh, Axel always makes it clear live to say boyfriend or girlfriend. So the chicks can get in on the fun too. Um, I fucking love this song. I don't care. I loved it then. I love it now. But to my ears, I think I hear a little electric guitar on it. I don't know if it's pure acoustic, but if it is, fucking cool because he's got a really good tone to it. And the bongos and the percussion works. Like I said, I loved it then. I love it now. And I can still hear that bitch complain. You know what I mean? <laughs> I hear what you mean, man. Uh, I guess I'll talk about Used to Lover, man. This is, you know, like I said, the second half of the album, I love hell of a lot more than the first half. And this is really where it kicks off, man. Used to Lover is a great fucking song. This is, this is a fun song, and, like, obviously none of us are, like, you know, gonna be people that, like, actually would murder someone or do something like that. But it's just, it's one of those songs, man. It's like, you go through a breakup, you feel like shit, and, you know... It's a fun song to sing to just take your mind off the, you know, the girl that fucked you over and, you know, I don't know. I love this song. I love how happy it sounds, but it's so fucking dark to you at the same time. 
I think it's kind of cool when bands do something like that. Cheap Tricks and Furious for doing songs like that that sound so happy, but if you really listen to the lyrics, it's really demented. And uh, I remember my friend Nick Mills playing this for me when uh, my, my Chinese uh, girlfriend at the time, uh, Nini, when she broke up with, or well, I broke up with her because she cheated on me, and I was so heartbroken, and he was trying to play all these different songs to help me, like, kind of make me cheer up, you know, and uh, this is one of them. And I do, I love this song. It's so fun and uh, great song. Yeah, it's not politically correct, but man, fuck it. Some of the most politically incorrect shit is the funniest. Great, great fucking song. And Edwin, how about you talk about the next song, which is a cover of the song on the last album called You're Crazy. Okay, I I will. And just so you know, I'm playing my own personal drinking game. Whenever you say the name Nick Mills, I've been taking a swig of scotch. (laughs) Oh, fuck, you may get alcohol poisoning. I stop playing that game. (laughs) I'm like drinking my Bond Scott level Johnny Walker now. (laughs) Well, don't Uh, die on me. (laughs) I'll try to throw one more more point in there. Yeah, go ahead. You know, the thing about that with the, you know, used to love her and it's all happy. Oh, the Beatles did that with uh, Maxwell Silver Hammer. They did with you know? uh, Run For Your Life, too, kind of. Yeah. yeah. I love that song, too. Oh, Run For Your Life's great. Better oh, in this Amazing yeah. song. Better in this one. But- oh, speaking of, speaking of fucked up shit, I- I'll tell a Nick Mills story here real oh, quick. God, oh, God, I'm going to drink again. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so this, it'll be real quick. I, I promise we're against the next song. But Nick Mills, he... Uh, we were talking with my friend James, and James is kind of like the annoying friend that, like, you know, we invite into our group. And he's a cool guy, but he can get kind of annoying at times. And there's, like, a school shooting that had happened recently, like, in some other state, and we were talking about it. Well, James was, like, being all cocky, like, oh, well, if there's a school shooter at our school, you know, I would, uh, and we're at the lunch table, you know, it was, like, breakfast time where, like, you'd come into school and you're hanging with your friends before you got to go to your class. And they'd have breakfast at the cafeteria. So he's talking about, like, oh, like, if a school shooter came to our school, you know, I would, like, sneak up behind him, kick the gun out of his hand, stop him, and I'd be a hero. Like, trying to sound like he's all badass when, in reality, you know, like, he would not be able to do that. He'd be too scared. And, and it was pissing Nick Mills off, and he finally, like, Nick Mills just stood up like he didn't stand up but he like told him like real loud like well how about i bring a gun to school tomorrow and i'll see how tough you are and right as he says that a teacher walks by and she kind of stops and she's like 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 she doesn't look at him but she just stops and then she keeps walking five minutes later all of a sudden the school security the police officer that like you know do security for the school come up and they're like sir can you come with us and they they take him away and he is so fucking scared and like we didn't see him for like the next half of the day and basically they just they checked his bag they called his mom they made him go home for the day and but it was just so funny because like total like worst thing to say if you're at school yeah i can imagine and i was just realizing like uh, i was complaining that my high school existence wasn't as cool as my brother's but then i realized the next generation it's even worse <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you had to deal with school shootings and shit oh man uh, yeah. oh yeah because you were like kind of uh in right high school before, around the 90s when all that shit started really becoming like a thing it only start yeah kind of it kicked in in the late 90s so i kind of just missed that so yeah so yeah. i got lucky um but yeah, yeah, too bad. But um, and he was crazy for doing that. So, Edwin, like what do you think of your crazy? Nick Mills, good one. Nick Mills is crazy. 
Uh, <laughs> you're crazy. I I love this, and in fact, I think it's better than the original one on Appetite for Destruction. Um, there's something to be said. Listen, the Appetite for Destruction one, it's all right. I think that's like the second weakest song on Appetite, actually. Uh, I feel like Appetite dips a little bit in the second half. Um, it, it picks up again. Obviously, Rocket Queen's awesome. But, I don't know. I mean, you're crazy. It's a catchy, fast little rockin' number. It's like, it's not bad. It's good. And believe me, like, Motley Crue, like, wishes their filler songs were like, you're crazy in the mid-80s, you know? Yeah, yeah, but it's not, like, one of the standouts, in my opinion. And then it goes into Anything Goes, which is my least favorite on uh, Appetite, which I actually... I agree. I I like the demo of Anything Goes way better. Yeah, the Hollywood uh, Rose one. That's better. It's much better, actually. Um, But... Yeah, you're crazy is all right. But this version, I don't know, something about slowing it down and making an acoustic, it just, it has more of a groove. It, there's this, uh, there's more of a dark humor to it now. I, and it's, and I think the dark humor works better on this than even the last one. And Axel gets to really shine as a vocalist. You could hear how much he's grown even just since the last album, since Appetite for Destruction, he's doing all kinds of cool stuff and it's a little jivey and he, a little Robert Plant-esque in the sense that he's just doing a lot of cool nonsense, you know, the uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, he's doing little weird sounds and stuff and it's fun and, and it's cool and it's, I, I love the groove, I love the sound of the guitars and it's, uh, it's great. It's probably, um, my third favorite track on this album actually yeah i really love uh the acoustic version of you're crazy i i think it's awesome and better than the than the electric one from what i know i heard a demo the original guns of rose demo the original version was actually electric but at this tempo and then they sped it up for appetite for destruction so the idea was to kind of bring it back to its roots but make it even like softer sonically so, uh, from what I know and from what I heard in that demo. But anyway, so what do you think of this version of You're Crazy, Charles? Well, I thought it was really interesting to, to put the acoustic version of uh, the Appetite track here. <coughs> Just like on the previous uh, song, To My Ears Again, I think Slash is... It sounds like an electric guitar, but if it's an acoustic, man, I, I, know, I need to know how you got that tone. And definitely Duff is playing rather muted bass. I love the Appetite version, but like you, I have I prefer this one myself, big time. Axel allegedly wasn't happy with his vocals on the track, which I oh, believe. Interesting. Yeah, I think there's some of the strongest. Right. I think he's great. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think I think he's saying the shit out of it to me. Yeah. Uh, I love how he he says motherfucker more in this version, too. Oh, yeah. And then there's that that scanning part right before the solo. I love it. And he shifts between the chest and head voice effortlessly in that. If you really listen to that, you hear that shift from the chest voice to head voice. Because I used to do a little singing myself. And wow, I mean, he's, he's a way talented singer. You don't get enough credit for that sometimes. One, uh, I thought that solo was badass. His points of it, it almost sounds like a xylophone. Um, yeah. It's a great track, man. I dig it. It's fucking killer. I love this song. and I, This is the version I prefer. I thought the Appetite was kind of an afterthought version. 
it just didn't really sit. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's one of the lesser tracks on Appetite, but on here it stands out. It's great. Right on. What do you think, Eric? Oh, man, I fucking love this one. And, uh, you know, I don't hate the ver- or It's not my least favorite on Appetite, the version on Appetite, which was a lot faster, more metal version, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, I love both versions equally. I can't really pick a favorite. Uh, for me, it's it just depends on my mood and what I'm uh, feeling. But I love this version. I love how they got two totally different versions of this, versions of this song that both, you know, work in their own way. Um, I love doing this version of the song on karaoke. You know, I, you know, I do some karaoke every once in a while, and this is a song I like to pull out. It's a cool song, and, uh... You know, just phenomenal. It's kind of awesome how they can take uh, one song and do to- uh, two totally different versions of it, and they both work excellently. Awesome. So we all like this version better. Hell yeah. Science. That means it's science. It's science, okay. baby. All right. Okay, okay. Now now we're getting into it. Here's the last song. And Ooh. Th- yeah, all right. Every, everyone relax. Everyone outside, you know, listening or inside or wherever you're at right now. Uh, everyone relax. We're going to get into this. We're going to have a serious conversation. This is probably going to take the longest, but it's the last track. It's one in a million. And, uh, <coughs> Eric, you want to st- start it off or, you know, say anything? Yeah, I guess I'll start it? off. So we want to do a serious discussion on this song. You know, obviously, yeah, this song has some controversy. There's some words in this song. That we can't technically say on air on a podcast. Nope. So real quick, I'm going to let us talk about this song, about the the naughty words in the song, and you know while we talk about that for this next minute, I'm going to insert some uh, audio clips of King for this next minute, and then we will get into a serious discussion about the song. They kick ass. Fucking shit. Fucking no shit. Fucking fucking mother. Fucking 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 ass. Fucking 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 shit. Fucking fucking fucking. Have to get a blowjob real quick. So. Fucking fucking fucking. Fucking fucking shit. Get hair off your nuts. Fucking fucker fucker. Shit. Fucking fucking. Holy shit. Fucking fucking motherfucking one. Damn. They're getting a blowjob. Fucking fucking fucking. Guys, kick ass. You guys kick ass too. And you guys are fucking crazy, man, down here. Okay, now let's talk about One in a Million, and I'll let our uh, uh, prestige guest, Mr. Charles Chuck Manson Trainer, talk about One in a Million. Oh, boy. <laughs> what, what can one say? Um. Obviously, this is a track that made used to love her innocent with controversy, which <laughs> yeah, yeah, got controversial. But let's just face it: if they only had used to love her on it and had something else, it would have been. Um, but rem- I remember hearing this when I got it back in late '88, and I was absolutely shocked when I heard it. I mean, it, I was like, whoa. Yeah, even at 14, I was like, what the fuck? When it, you know, 
when the dreaded racial language was used, my jaw dropped. And then, of course, you got the, the rants on the immigrants and homosexuals in the second verse. And that was just even more shocking. The sad part of it to me, though, is musically it's outstanding. I think it's probably the best track musically on the whole collection. But again, it's interesting to me that all the songs, like I said earlier, that all of the songs on side two were credited to all the members. As most of the members have disowned it. I think even Axel's pretty much disowned it now because they dropped it from the box set. Uh, actually, yeah, uh, Duff actually, interestingly enough, ha- doesn't disown it. Like, he acknowledged it, but he thinks that the song is misunderstood. That's what he says. And he he he, he kind of gets Axel's intent. And from a creative standpoint, he doesn't see it as intentionally, you know, homophobic or, you know, racist or xenophobic. But he but he understands why it offended people. And so, you know, we got rid of it, he says. People didn't understand it. Uh, I know Steven Adler actually early on did not want it on the album. He was he just like, why the fuck are we doing this? You know, what's wrong? Yeah. Uh, Slash didn't think it was cool. But hey respects Axel's like freedom as an artist that was kind of his attitude I believe that's still his attitude about the song like you know I don't think it's cool but you know Axel's an artist let him do his thing uh, and he's the one who's actually half black in the band so uh, and I don't what? recall if Izzy ever was quoted about it has he been has oh he, actually he was actually, oh he was and what did Izzy say about it oh uh, well remember he had I don't know if you remember he had an incident on an airplane where he pissed on the yeah. aisle and they arrested <laughs> him in jail. He said that was not a very fun experience in jail. Oh, to- oh, oh, yeah, he had to deal with Axel's lyrics in jail because yeah. that's <laughs> the thing too. Clearly, oh. Axel lyrics, yeah. not Izzy lyrics. Yes, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was yeah, yeah. weird as Slash agreed to do it, but you know, quite. I have to say, quite honestly. To me, lyrically, this is the worst song GNR has ever done, as far as because of all the controversy and everything that went it went in with it. And uh, I know Axel used the excuse that he grew up in a small town, and that was something he heard a lot, and this and that. He grew up in Lafayette, Indiana. It's like eighteen thousand people there. I grew up in a town of two thousand people, yeah. and I don't think I'd write a song like that, but. Uh, I think he knew what he was doing. I really do. And, uh, I mean, one of the main reasons, I know it might sound corny, but one of the main reasons I don't like talking about it too much is because I love this band, and I'm still surprised to this day that the woke mob is not going after Guns N' Roses for this song. Yeah, I mean, they did, like, obviously they didn't include it in later copies although it hanged around there for a long time on copies of lies and it included in the box set but it's very available i mean you don't have to go back that far it just shows it's still on the the streaming album yeah 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 and you know obviously you could just go to any amazon marketplace and just buy the cd you got it i know i will say this uh i don't want to get too political but i will say the woke mob is very selective sometimes you know they cherry yeah pick. like if they want to like something they want to like something you know and it's like they want to like guns and roses 
they're a very popular band. Every like LA, I could tell you, someone who lived in LA, a lot of Hollywood people love going to see Guns N' Roses. You know, they like wearing Guns N' Roses T-shirts and they think it's cool. Guns N' Roses are very LA. It's like kind of like the Beach Boys of of our era. You know, what Van Halen was kind of like too before Guns N' Roses. They're so I feel like they give them, they kind of are giving them a get out jail card on this one because they like so many people in the entertainment business love Guns N' Roses that they're letting them slide. And yeah, there's a lot of bands and artists that if they have something like this in their back catalog, they'd be canceled within 24 hours. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty interesting. And yeah. <laughs> but another little interesting fact of, about the song is, is it was. It's almost like an indictment of the times, too, because there was a little rockumentary done about him uh, by MTV of GNR at, around this time frame. And they showed clips of them doing this live, unedited. On oh, the yeah. Report. Yeah. And you notice like in the like the attitude and we'll, we'll get into this. I mean, do you, is there? Well, actually, I'll jump in a little bit now. if It's all right, Charles, because I know that the, exactly what you're talking about, that performance and I remember, because I just want to say this first before I get into this. I love this song. It's my favorite song on the album. It's one of my favorite Guns N' Roses songs. Where Charles actually touched upon a lot of my feelings about this. And I think he kind of gets where I'm coming from. It's like, I, I have mixed feelings about this song. Because I feel like it's one of the greatest Guns N' Roses songs. But because of the lyrics, it's become this other thing. And I wish it was any of the other songs on this album and not this song because it's so fucking good. Like, it's like, let's put it this way. I don't mind get your like get in the ring having like shitty, dumb lyrics that people can make fun of. Like, if because the song's a shit song. You know what I mean? So either I hate one, getting the yeah, ring. Yeah, that's my point. It's a wash. That song's shit anyway. So who cares if it has the most meat-headed Axl Rose lyrics ever? It doesn't matter because I skipped that song anyway. And I don't think this, these lyrics are bad, uh, but I have mixed feelings about them. Uh, there are some things I really like about the lyrics, but then there are some things that I do think reflect an ugly side of Axl Rose. Not entirely for just the reasons you might be thinking, because I actually don't think Axl's really racist or xenophobic. Actually, it's kind of what Charles, I think, is alluding to. I feel like he's kind of did it for the controversy of it. Yeah. And... It's and I think in, in that performance that he's talking about, you even kind of see a little hint of that. Because when they do the song and they sing the line, it gets a reaction from the crowd. Some people laugh, some people gasp. And Axel's just kind of smirking a bit. Like, haha, knew you'd, knew you'd get a response from that. Like, there's just that vibe. You know what? Didn't you get that same vibe, Charles? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you listen. You listen to it on here, he says, that's right. Yeah, he goes, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's right. I said it. And it's like, I, you know, I'm, listen, I'm not political, you know, ultra politically correct person, as we know. And I'm for freedom of speech. I'm very big for freedom of speech. I'm not for canceling people. I'm definitely not for can. I thought it was lame when Guns N' Roses did not include us in the box set. I felt they were denying their own history and not being real. But... I do think it betrays something ugly about Axel, where there's a side of him that would inject something like this uh, just for the sake of controversy. Because I really do think, I mean, there's a lot of ways he can express being uh, Indiana white boy feeling displaced in L.A. He did it in Welcome to the Jungle. Like, there's a lot of words he can use, you know, and I appreciate 
the pathos of the song. That's the thing too that's frustrating about the song is it's a beautiful, it's a darkly beautiful song. And I think 10 times the song than Welcome to the Jungle even. I think there's something really powerful about the song and poignant and beautiful. And it really gives you that feeling. As someone, I could tell you, you know, when I was 21, I, I moved to New York City and I lived in LA a couple times and it, it captures the feeling, uh, especially in the music. But even some of the lyrics capture the feeling of being displaced and kind of out of your element and just kind of trying to hold on to your own personality and identity when you're like in this crazy world with all these people that you don't feel like you're connected to like so there's a real sense of isolation to the song and there's some real substance to it you know it's not just like a bullshit song that's the thing you know it's a beautiful song some of the strongest melodies and and feeling and soul it has a lot of soul to it but there's a part of me, especially as I get older and I listen to this song, that does get frustrated that there's that little, that's right, ha ha ha, I said a word I can't say. And I feel it does cheapen the song a bit. And it makes it a lesser song, and it makes it like, this is what this is what everyone talks about when they talk about One in a Million. And it's just too bad, because it's really one of their greatest songs. And it's like, you know, I just wish it was one of the other songs. If, if you had to do something like this to get a little controversy, which I don't really like controversy for the sake of it, but I just wish it was not this goddamn song because this song is so fucking great, you know? And it's all, it's all, it's all anyone ever talks about now is a song is because he chose those specific words. Now, I will say, like, obviously a lot of hip-hop artists had used the same language. Obviously, it's different because they're black too, but they would also talk about crackers and smoking white people and cops and certain songs. And, you know, and, uh, and, and I feel like it's it's like the white boy, hillbilly white boy reflection of like NWA, you know, straight out Compton. And they're kind of talking about their tribe in a kind of ugly, visceral way in the same way that a lot of gangster rap is. But... I do feel, like I said, I feel like there's a little bit of a put-on. Like, if it, if it was like, if, if Guns N' Roses were just a total street band, and this was just their thing, I'd almost, like, kind of uh, cut them a little more slack on it. Uh, but I feel at this point, post-Appetite for Destruction, Axel was already kind of rich and living the good life, and I feel like he was kind of throwing that in there just for controversy. So there's that touch of it. But there is something authentic about the feeling... It's like, you know, you're not always saying the right things and you're not always thinking the right things. He did put on the there is one thing. If you notice, Charles, like in the third verse, he goes radicals and racist. Don't point your fingers at me. I'm just a small town white boy, you know, trying to make ends meet. I always felt like that was him saying, hey, hey don't confuse. Don't think that you're like, hey, like KKK people or neo-Nazis don't come knocking on my door. I'm not like your ally here. Like, that's kind of what he's saying. He's saying, hey, racist, I'm not one of you. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm working some shit out. All right. I'm working some shit out because these are things I felt when I first came to L.A. You know, the first time I was in like a, a you know, a convenience store with, a, you know, some guy who spoke some language I didn't know. And and some guy in West Hollywood that came on to me and and I saw some criminals and some police and like like this is stuff I'm working out. And so I, I, it's a myth. It's like you get the best of Axel and the worst of Axel in this song. You know, you get an Axel that really, I do think, is generally expressing himself as an artist. And I think you also get the sensationalistic brat out 
Axl Rose that's just kind of wants attention and knows he'll get it by saying something this way. So you kind of you get you get both Axls. You know, you get the best of him and the worst of him. And in some ways, that kind of makes it the ultimate Guns N' Roses song. Kind of objectively, probably their most important song that you can talk about because it's kind of all there. And you also talked about the music. The music's just stunning. It's amazing. The Slash's acoustic guitar solo is amazing. I, I used to think, for whatever reason, I, I used to thought it was Duff on the electric guitar, but apparently, according to Wikipedia, it's Izzy, which makes more sense because it's pretty good. It's pretty good electric uh, rhythm guitar playing. Uh, and if you listen to it, what the electric guitar is doing, I love the tone of the electric guitar with the acoustic guitars. It's just kind of like hanging, hanging in space. It's very interesting. And it's almost kind of vaguely psychedelic quality to it. And then at the end, it's very haunting, like when the piano comes in and Axel's like the fade out. Like it's almost like it's fading out like that era of Guns N' Roses. It's like the appetite era's ending and we're going into the usual illusion era. Like it's even foreshadowing it for a little bit of piano, you know? And it feels like it could go right into like Civil War, which was like the next song they recorded, which was kind of the beginning of the next phase of Guns N' Roses. So it's it's an amazing song. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. But it's like it's like this amazing piece of art that has this ugly blotch on it. And I I just like I said, I don't wanna Kadem Axel, I don't think he really is a racist, but at the same time, I think he's at times a meat-headed kind of ugly man sometimes and doesn't do things for the right reasons. And I don't think he's entirely honest about it. And I feel like his idea is like, let's just erase this song from our discography and then people then we don't have a, have to have a discussion about it. Whereas I think it would be better for him as an artist to say, no, this is something I felt then. Maybe it's wrong now, but let's talk about it, you know. But, you know, he does a lot of virtue singling these days. And I just feel like he's not very legit. Whereas even though he was ugly and stupid at times back then and did things for the wrong reasons, I do think he was more authentic and real then, even with this song, than he is now. But um, uh, what do you think, Charles? What do you think about some of that? Oh, I I agree. I mean, musically, it's awesome, and that's why. I, I mean, I. It's absolutely frustrating. Yeah. He went lowest common denominator, but fuck, it must have worked because I mean, all these years later, people still talk about it. So I mean, it was almost like he knew what he was doing. But don't you think, but, like, even if he didn't do it, though, I think people would talk about it, but they would just talk about it just because it was, like, one of the greatest right. Guns N' Roses songs. <laughs> like, that, I just would have preferred if that was why they were talking about it, you know? Right. I mean, yeah. if it was just an instrumental, it would be phenomenal. I mean, yeah, musically, it's easily the best fucking song on the, on the album. And it's just, like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, I just don't know why he chose to go as hard in the paint like they call it on lyric, with lyrics. I don't get it. So, like, so you, Eric, what do you want to weigh into this in the one in a million discussion? Oh uh, man, so this is a song I was always dying to hear because before I heard this album I had seen like, you know, uh, behind the music and whatnot on Guns N' Roses and Every time they talked about this album, they brought this song up and they mentioned the controversy. And obviously on TV, they couldn't say that word. 
And so I kept wondering, like, like, yeah, <laughs> there's more than one. Oh yeah, well, there's definitely more than one. Well, I, I don't know. There's, there's two. There's two words. One of the words was kind of commonly used still back then. Yeah, it really in the eight, yeah, that's true. Like fast yeah. times and stuff. Yeah, one yeah. word was used a little more, but he well, used it. He used it kind of in a hard way, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But uh, I, I just remember hearing all the controversy about the song. Just being, I was always curious because I'm like, oh man, like what, what, what. You know, because I was kind of naive. You know, I was just a young kid. I was like, what do what they say in that song? What's so bad about that song? What's, like, what's the controversy with it? it? It was much like, you know, Wasp with, you know, Fuck Like a Beast, where it's like you wanted to hear that song because you're like, it caused so much controversy, where you're like, I want to hear that. And um, I, I love this song. I think it's an amazing song. Um, you know, honestly, the, you know, there's two certain words used in that song and they're used in a very hateful way. Um, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I never really paid attention to that. All I hear for me is a, is a great song. And I, I myself am not like a very, you know, politically correct person, but I don't go around, you know, really, I don't go around saying those words, obviously. And I don't hate anyone of, you know, whether you're, whether your sexual orientation or the color of your skin, I don't hate on you for, hate on anyone for that or using kind of those slurs, but, uh, I, I think it's just a great song. I, I never really was, you know, bothered by it, but then again, I'm a, you know, straight white boy, so what, you know, where, what's there for me to get offended by, you know, it's, you're from Indiana. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm from Indiana too, so, <laughs> but I don't know, it, it to me, I, I always love the song. You know, for me, the I, I always viewed like him using those words as like you know Axel just trying to create some controversy. You know, and uh, you know it never, never really bothered me. I, I think it's kind of dumb how he kind of doesn't. He tries to just like brush the song under the rug now and not acknowledge it. Where it's like, no, just own up to what what it was you're trying to convey with this song. Like what why you use those words. You know why you put it in the song. You know, because, you know, obviously it seems like he didn't really put it in there as like, a, you know, to be hateful. He just put it in there to like stir up some controversy. And uh, I think it's kind of weak of him to just brush under the brush under the rug so he doesn't have to explain himself. But uh, for me, I, I love the song. You know, it doesn't doesn't really bother me. I think it's just a good song. You know, it's just it's sometimes, you know, there's art where like they, you know, I don't know. I don't know. If I try to go on too long, I'm just going to sound like a, someone that doesn't know what they're talking about. But <laughs> I think it's a, you know, I, I think it's a great song, man. It's a phenomenal song. Great way to close the album. You know, controversy aside, I think you, everyone needs to listen to this song. It's a great, great tune. There you go. Well, I think we, we all agree that it's a great song. We got we got the three of us mixed feelings about the lyrics, but uh, we can all agree that musically it's a great song and a yeah. great. And you see what I mean by I feel like it kind of ends the era and kind of foreshadows usual illusion kind of. Yeah, I agree. This, this was like you know this was the end of that era because after this they got Matt Sorum and uh, Izzy eventually would leave afterwards when they shortly kind of a couple. After, like, the first leg of the Use Your Illusion tour, he would leave, and it's just Guns N' Roses became a completely different band. They're very Vegasy, and and uh, they went from being, like, you know, Aerosmith and the Stones to being more like Queen and, like, you know, Vegasy kind of rock and roll. Oh, the era of the stuffed biker shorts and oh, Randy Miller. I hate, those, I hate those biker shorts. <laughs> God damn. What, 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 
those two, those biker shorts to me are more offensive than the lyrics in One to a Million. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So <laughs> a- anyway, well, listen, Charles has done very good. It's very yeah. late in Poland right now. So let's start wrapping this up for Charles. Yeah. Uh, uh, this was a great conversation. You did really good, Charles. I'm impressed. Considering, I agree. Considering it's like 3 a.m. there. <laughs> <laughs> this man's run on no sleep. Man, you're a pro. So, uh, Charles, yeah. uh, before, is there anything like this week, any uh, music or, you know, just anything that you want to recommend that you, you've been into? Um, well, I guess I recommend two, actually. But the reason why I'm saying two is because the... Deluxe box set of Use Your Illusions just came out. And to me, just listen to November Rain and go from there. Because may not like November Rain. Some I love that may, song. But they added the full orchestra, which just is killer. And it does sound, as far as a collection, I haven't heard the whole thing yet. But from what I've heard, it, it does sound better. <laughs> Remember, though, folks, if it's a turd, you can only polish it so much, which means nothing. So <laughs> I the know bad song s- is genius. Yeah. So you like? Yeah, did, did you like the? Did you hear the new uh, remix with the orchestra? Yes, that's. No, what, I, I, mean. I know. I Eric, did you? Oh. Eric, you know, I yeah, actually yeah. have not. Yeah. Believe it or not, I have not heard it. But the original is, version of November Rain, I, I've always loved. I thought that song was a masterpiece. This uh, yeah, version. it's overplayed, but I, I it's bloated, but I love it. This new version's better. Uh, the orchestra is just, it's warmer. It sounds more like a real legit, like kind of 70s orchestra on a, like a rock song. And the guitar, nice. you notice also Charles had a, uh, the guitars sound like mixed higher. Like you just hear the yeah. guitars are really, they really come through and you hear this really amazing guitar playing on right. this version. But yeah, I definitely thought the remix was an improvement on the original. I wouldn't recommend paying $500 for the box. <laughs> oh, hell no. Now, I got to tell you, I'm disappointed, too. I looked at this. I was telling you this the other day, Charles, but, like, there's no outtakes. There's no demos. There's, like, no, like, ah. I was, like, I thought this was, like, the chance to really hear a lot of shit, you know, in the Guns N' Roses vaults. I mean, this is Use Your Illusion, you know? And it's just, like, two live albums and one song's remixed. I don't know. I feel like that's a chip, personally. It's a Use Your Illusion box set. Of course you're going to hear a lot of shit. But no, there's not. That's the thing. It's not even a lot of shit. Like, I know you might think I'm a glutton for punishment, but I wanted a lot of stuff. I wanted outtakes and demos. And I, it's just like, like you know, like the Beatles do with their deluxe sets. Like, you got the White Album deluxe set. You hear the sessions. I want to hear some fucking Use Your Illusion sessions. I want to hear fucking Izzy playing fucking 14 years on just a, like an acoustic guitar or something. You know what I mean? Like, I want to hear that shit. It's in a vault somewhere. Why? Again, just another example of Guns N' Roses being fucking lazy. Yep. There's some lazy-ass assholes. I will say, though, that the concert from it, it's on it, the 91 one is really good. But my true recommendation of the week would be uh, the revolver box set that just came out. It is fucking phenomenal i knew it would be it's just really blown and my that, mind and that does have session shit because the yes, McCartney and ringo star are not cheaping out like fucking guns and roses <laughs> hell yeah Dude, and they fixed they oh, the whole album you know guns and roses just remixed one song and remastered everything else and you I'm, know they're probably moaning and bitching about doing that like ah oh, fuck i gotta go remix a song let me go in the fucking studio and like 
bitching about the whole time. Axel probably wasn't even in the studio. He probably did it remotely. <laughs> they just probably sent it to him and he listened to him and said, okay, that's good. They probably <laughs> Skyped it. <laughs> Skyped it. You know, I mean, I was hoping they were going to remix the whole album and uh, put in a good drum, you know, a good drummer. <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, they're like, add some cowbell and like amplify the bass a little bit. That's all. And they're, okay, that's perfect. <laughs> and and, and uh, remove like my world and uh, the second don't cry. <laughs> yeah. um, imagine it'd be funny though, you know, if they had the outtakes and then there was like one CD that was all just don't cry, but with different lyrics constantly, but always the same backing tracks. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> don't cry. Four. Don't cry version five. Don't cry. Oh. It'd be like it's like the Unforgiven. How Metallica has like fifty fucking versions of the Unforgiven. Like Jesus Christ, the first Unforgiven was already bad enough. It didn't warrant a fucking sequel. Right. Well, I, I, you know, I I like the first Unforgiven, but that second one it, it's horrible. It's like they took because to me the cool thing about the Unforgiven was that they did an untraditional thing where the verses are heavy. And then the chorus is like, because normally, you know, rock or metal ballads kind of do the opposite. And then they come up with this great idea. They're like, hey, let's do the Unforgiven again. But this time we're going to make it more stereotypical and less interesting. It's like, yeah, let's record <laughs> like that. country version of it on the <laughs> second try. It's like, we'll, we'll just make it suck more. It's a great, great idea. And that was a the fucking th- single. <laughs> the third one, you don't even really know it's... Oh, it's, it's hard. It at all. Sucks so badly. Oh, it's horrible. That's even worse. Somehow, yeah. the third one's even worse. It just keeps getting worse. I can only imagine. It's a good thing they don't do Unforgiven 4, because that would be so bad, it might, like, the universe might implode. implode. Oh, God. <laughs> Sammy Hagar and Gary Sharon would guess, do guest <laughs> vocals on it. Oh, my God. Fucking oh, Gary no, Sharon. This fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? What was that thing you sent, Charles, with that Gary Sharon was doing that was horrible? What was that? Or my is that not well, everything he does enough? is horrible. That's <laughs> <laughs> specific enough. <laughs> oh god. I don't remember. I don't want to. Oh, Edward, how god, can you I... recommend something good but that, know, that gotta, isn't gotta, Gary Sharon? We're in a bad spot now. I gotta get us out of here. Um, I gotta. <laughs> I'm going to recommend our. Oh shit. Let me look some. You go first, Eric. I'll, okay. I'm, I'm going to do the Ralph thing. I'm going to look through on my shelves. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. So my recommendation, I'm going to go with a movie because uh, lately I've been kind of in a – haven't been listening to too much music. I've been watching more movies lately. Sometimes it switches. Sometimes I want to watch movies. Sometimes I want to listen to tunes. And I'm going to recommend a great movie. And if any of our listeners out there are going through a breakup, especially – I recommend the movie Better Off Dead with John Cusack. What a fucking classic movie. It's so wacky and weird. Um, it's not like your typical, you know, it's not like a typical 80s teen movie, like a John Hughes movie. Although I do love John Hughes. This movie is so wacky and random and there's just, it's like a live action cartoon. And it's just such a great movie though with a great message. And it, it pisses me off when I see reviews of this movie and people are like, oh, you can't make this movie nowadays. Oh, they're making uh, jokes about suicide. And it's like, for me, this movie's just great. And to me, this is a movie, like, if you go through a breakup and you're, like, kind of taking it really hard, this is the best movie to watch because it, you know, humor's not pretty and it, it takes a pretty shitty situation that you could go through and 
makes light of it and also encourages encourages you to you know life is worth living don't let a breakup or a girl bring you down and it's just such a fun movie with a great message and it's just you know it, it's hilarious i fucking love it diane franklin i think she's uh up there as one of the sexiest like 80s babes ever and she plays the you know the french exchange babe in there and uh it's just such a great movie. I recommend it, especially the hamburger scene with the the hamburger coming to life and playing Everybody Wants Some. It's a yeah. great movie. Watch Better Off Dead. Yeah, good choice. I like that a lot. And I picked what I'm going to go with. Uh, to counteract Axl Rose's racism, I'm, <laughs> go- I'm going to pick a Marvin Gaye album. A Marvin Gaye, uh, What's Going On? But a specific new mix. Uh, called the Detroit Mix. Well, it's actually an old mix. They're, this was released originally on a deluxe edition of this uh, remaster of this classic Motown album, What's Going On. And I only heard this mix uh, for the first time a few weeks ago, and because they finally released it just like on its own. It was probably like a record day thing a few months back. But this mix was his uh, Marvin Gaye's original mix he made in Detroit, and then it was later polished and they you know brought up the orchestra and they kind of slicked it up a bit in la subsequently and i love the original mix too i'm a big marvin gay fan i did a youtube video about him and i love what what's going on it's an amazing album it's a very it's an album it's not just about that one song the whole album's great it's kind of like his sergeant pepper it's like all the songs go into each other and it's a it's a soulful beautiful wonderful album but this mix this detroit mix was a real revelation because it's just like really kind of down and dirty and it's just like a little more straight up and i can kind of hear like it was like maybe like a little too raw for like when it was like first released you know uh for 1971 but now it sounds kind of more modern like it sounds like this would be the version of what's going on i would like play for a person like getting into music now because to me it's a little more straight up and it's it's great it's like it's like it's really different sounding from the finished version so if you if you like marvin Gaye and you like 70s r&b and you never heard this version of what's going on i highly recommend the detroit mix and you can get it on like um you know the app the apple music store you know formerly known as itunes for like just like seven bucks and it sounds great so i definitely recommend what's going on the detroit mix nice i'll have to check that out man i I love me some marvin Gaye. i'm more of a casual fan but i i gotta get into more of his stuff i love some uh old school r&b yeah check out check out my video because i'll tell you about what albums uh to go to i i love um I want you the best, but also what's going on is great. I mean, all the 70s stuff is good. You can't really lose with 70s Marvin Gaye. It's all pretty great. Right on. Yeah. Well, I want to thank Mr. Chuck Charles Manson Trainer for joining us, taking time out of his busy uh, schedule, doing things like hunting down uh, Osama bin Laden and all that, uh, to join us to talk about some GNR. Um, Charles, I thank you so much for joining us, and... Uh, Thank everyone for listening. Uh, if you made it this far in the episode, you're awesome. And uh, be sure to leave us leave us some goddamn reviews, everyone. We, we need some more of them iTunes reviews. And uh, share it with your friends. And uh, thank you for joining us for another killer review. Thanks that's, for having me. Fun. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, that whenever I do anything now. I'm just going to go, that's right. That's right. <laughs> 
Exactly. I thought that was a parrot at first when you said that. <laughs> oh, imagine a I'm like, who has a pet parrot? Axel Rose is like a parrot. Imagine that. Applesauce! <laughs> <laughs> oh, come here, forgot him! <laughs> well, good night, guys. Thank you again, Charles. All right. Later, guys. Later. Bye. All right.